0: Hello everybody, Robbie here and welcome to episode number 32 of the Coach's Journey podcast with Mike Toller who, as you'll hear, has had a big impact on my life. So having achieved success running a popular club night in London and living his life by, in his words, trusting serendipity, Mike wondered whether he could make more of a difference in people's lives than helping them have a good time on a Saturday night. And that thought was the beginning of his journey to becoming a professional coach and a psychodynamic psychotherapist. The world of coaching opened up to him in some ways through uh, some remarkable discussions with his flying instructor. Listen out for that story in this episode. And then with more structured uh, conversations with Phil Bolton, who regular listeners will know from episode number two, um, uh, and also a more recent conversation that, that he and I had with a mutual friend and colleague, Inga Unglia, who's also mentioned in this episode. Um, Phil trained both Mike and I, although at slightly different times, um, at the very start of our coaching careers, and Mike was present as an observer and a trainer on on My Coach Training too, And our journeys have remained intertwined ever since, including recently working together with a consultancy called Curve, who are doing amazing work in the world running some coach training together. So Mike and I get into that in a little detail in terms of... Uh, you know what we're learning about coaching by training coaches, um, and and that experience has definitely given us a, a, the opportunity to refocus on the essence of our coaching um, practices, and, and yeah, we get into what we've learned. Um, you know, together and separately over the course of our friendship and and working relationship in, in again, all kinds of different ways. Um, we touch on a bunch of different uh, interesting things using physical space symbolically and shifting perspectives um, in coaching sessions, starting from that idea of, of being coached in a plane. Um, we talk about Mike's role in the world's only indie air guitar band. Uh, we get into the fundamentals of coaching and how, as coaches, we can model healthy relationships we talk about intentionality and how to create it in, in coaching relationships. Um, we talk about making coaching embodied. Um, and we get into a great discussion. You know, it's such a pleasure to have Mike there so that we can speak, you know, as a practicing psychotherapist about the differences between coaching and psychotherapy. And he gives, you know, he has a unique vantage point from which to give, give valuable insight into both worlds, um, comparing and contrasting them and talking about when he does which with who. Before we get to the episode, I've got a couple of things I just wanted to say. One is that my first book will be out in the next week um, after the release of this podcast episode. So that's very exciting for me. Um, it's called How to Start a Book, Business or Creative Projects When You're Stuck. Um, it's the first part of what it will be at least a four-part series called The 12-Minute Method, based around my 12-minute blog, um, which some f- followers of the podcast will have heard me talk about before. Um if you're interested um in reading it, um check hit robbyswale.com dot com um in the next week or so or sign up to my mailing list, my separate mailing list at Robbie Swale dot com um to be the, amongst the first to hear when it's out. And if you know anyone um this Christmas who is always talking about starting a business or writing a book or getting something new going, then maybe this is the present you need to give to them. Um, really the, the most important measure of success to me is that I would love this book and, and this work and me telling the story of how I wrote the book in 12 minutes a week over the, the course of about three years. Um, uh, I the, the measure of success for me is is that more people do things that they wouldn't have done otherwise things they really want to do and they get out of that feeling of procrastination and creative hell and, and into that amazing amazingly empowering agency of of creating things so um, if you're interested in that or you know somebody who might be do um, hit robbyswale.com and, and the book will be all over that or follow me on LinkedIn or or Twitter or anywhere like that um, to find that um, yeah the book should be out I don't want to commit for sure but it should be out hopefully on the 7th of December um, and uh, yeah you can find out more about that you'll be able to find it on Amazon, all the usual places but but do sign up to my mailing list at robbyswale.com if, if you want to hear more about that um, speaking of social media, which I did briefly there, The Coach's Journey is now on Facebook and LinkedIn. So please do give it a search, give it a like, um, share that page if you know any coaches who, who might be interested. Um, it, it, it just felt like it was time and we're probably just I was probably just getting in the way of people finding out about the podcast by not having um, The Coach's Journey on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so you can find it there. What we're doing, is, so I decided to do it on roughly the second anniversary of the podcast, which has just passed. Um, and it was the 14th of November I think and so what we've been doing since then is is taking a trip back through the episodes from the very beginning um, reflecting on them, sharing a few memories that I have, um, making suggestions for other episodes that if you like that one you might be interested in and all that kind of thing so there's some nice content appearing there which will hopefully be of interest to you but uh, I'd really appreciate it if you'd head across there and give us a like on LinkedIn, You just searched The Coach's Journey on LinkedIn or give us a like on Facebook by searching The Coach's Journey there so um obviously the the point of the 12 minute method and my 12 minute blog is is better out there than um perfect and you can hear that a bit in this episode people listeners to the podcast will know that i much rather have the um if the audio is a bit rough i want to hear everything that mike says even even if it's a bit rough and unfortunately our backup audio didn't work so well on this episode um so you'll hear a few times like that probably um but more than that i i just really hope um you enjoy as much as I did the way that the, in this conversation, I think Mike and I speak about the fundamentals of coaching in quite a deep way and and there 's two reasons that we do that in this episode. one is that Mike brings that knowledge of psychotherapy to that and and it means that we get into those those differences in a way that i haven 't heard another conversation on a podcast you know really um doing certainly we haven 't done on this show before um but also because we're doing this training together, so we're right in the fundamentals of coaching. We're right in what does it mean to coach, especially when we did this. We, we were a few weeks out after doing the first module, the fundamentals module of training some new coaches. Um, so I hope you enjoy that. Listen out for the end. There's an amazing thing Mike says about ambivalence and conflicting feelings. And actually, we wonder if if ambivalence, which doesn't mean uh, indifference, but does mean conflicting feelings, in, at least in the in the in the clinical psychotherapeutic sense. Um, if that's at the source of all coaching um and but we also hit some practical things as well like uh, what mike thinks is the ultimate coaching question we'll get into that quite near the start um so enjoy this podcast you'll hear how much uh, mike and i uh, how well we know each other and how much we get on but um there's also plenty in here for anyone interested in coaching psychotherapy um, or just what it's like to take a journey through a career change with somebody um who's who's really keen to make a difference in the world so enjoy meeting mike and um Yeah, I hope to have you back with us on the Coach's Journey podcast sometime soon. Mike Toller, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thanks, Robbie. So, we'll probably talk about this as we go, but um, we have had many relationships over the years. Um, I'm really glad that you're here on the podcast. It's like you could easily have been one of the first guests. And for various reasons, dull reasons about me not wanting it to be just my friends in the first few episodes, um, you are not. And so here we are about two years in. um, And it's really great to have you um, have you on the show. And I'm excited to see where it's going to go, what we're going to create in this conversation. Um, But to give listeners an idea of the relationships we've had, like you were my first professional coach. Um, We've also been coach client the other way. Um, You were kind of a trainer on the coach training that I did. Um, But we've also been like um, customer uh, business owner. We've been um, pub quiz teammates. We've been groom and wedding guest. We've maybe been audience member and performer both ways, at least one way. Um, And and we're currently working together on on a project. So there's like and we've, and the way we've done that, which again, we might get to, you know, has again, deepened that relationship. So that's, that's quite an interesting mm-hmm. set of dynamics to bring in. Is, have I missed yeah. any? Is there any other things that I, I haven't got? I don't think so. I was just thinking, is there
1: anything we have buddy? Drinking buddy.
0: Drink. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I think you've covered it. Like, um, there's nothing left, Robbie.
0: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> think of some, some, some things, Mike, but but we're both married men. So we, we probably, we probably don't, we don't want to go there. Um, Yeah. And I mean, that's an interesting set of dynamics to bring into a conversation like this. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it is. Um, I'm sure we'll come to this, but you know, there's, there's something really interesting about our relationship sort of personally and professionally and, you know, particularly the work we're doing now. And uh, this is a bit I hope we'll come to is the way we've thought about that, you know, the way we have thought about working together. Um, that I think is, um, is a really powerful thing and, and, you know, is, is worth
0: us exploring today. Yeah. And then of course, here we are today with a new, new relationship, which is like podcast host and guest. (laughs) And Mike, the way we often, I often start the conversations on this podcast is to ask the guest, where did you first come across coaching as, as we understand it now? Mm. Yeah. Um, Great question. So,
1: in a formal sense, through Phil Bolton, who trained us both, and you know, um, who I then supported in training you after he trained me, um, he was the first person who um, really told me, you know, what coaching is and how it works, and and told me a lot about his experience as a professional coach. This was something like eight years ago, um, and really got me excited about um the idea of working as a coach and then helping him develop the training that we both kind of went through and then and then you know carrying on and setting up the business as a coach um so in a formal sense that's where I first heard about this thing called coaching I think informally um it's a bit before that um I think we'll come to this too but you know there's a story um this sort of the story starts a bit before I met Phil in terms of Um, how and why I do this work now. Uh, I think you'll have heard me talk about this recently, but um, a long, long, long time ago, when I had a lot more time and a lot more um, money, spare money to fling around, I I decided to learn how to fly small planes. And part of the reason I made that decision was that um, I went up for a trial lesson to uh, an airfield up in Hertfordshire, and I was actually working as an editor at the time. So I went to write about um, a flying lesson. I went and did one with a view to writing about it. And while I did this flying lesson, I sort of quickly realized that there was way more to what I was doing than just sort of you know going out there and doing this kind of flying lesson and then sort of going back home and writing about it. I really got into it. And part of the reason I got into it was because the man who took me out, the flying instructor who took me up, an amazing person, I think was um, kind of at heart a coach and spent some time with me that day listening to me and um, was curious about me and sort of genuinely curious beyond the fact that I was there to write this article and um, kind of saw something in me that I think he he decided to kind of um, investigate a little bit. And he gave me an amazing... Afternoon, and which was a whole load of fun, which was part of why I then decided to fly small planes. But he also asked me some questions that day about myself, and I think he was sort of onto the fact that I was at a point in my life where I was thinking about what I was doing and needed to make some decisions. And he got me thinking about that. And um, yeah, I think you know, hearing your question, when I look back, in a way, that was really the first time that someone asked me something like a powerful question about what else might be possible, possible in my life. And I think that was the first time really that I encountered coaching without knowing it.
0: Do you remember what the question was or <laughs> was there a particular powerful question?
1: Yeah, it was, I do remember what it was. Um, so we were like literally two and a half thousand feet or something above Hertfordshire in this little plane. It was a beautiful summer's day and we were sort of flying around. And he he said look out the window and i did and you could sort of you know you sort of see the world It's a different perspective um, you can sort of see like a lot of the world from that from that kind of height it's not very high but it's high enough you know and he said imagine all of this was yours like imagine you were like the king of everything you can see here you had you know everyone would do what you told them to do you'd have all the resources at your command all of this is yours what would you do and I couldn't give him an answer like I just didn't have an answer to that question it was it was you know it's kind of the ultimate kind of coaching question in a way it's like if you could do anything at all what would you do and I just I didn't know how to answer that question but I think what happened by being asked that question was I started thinking about that it's like what else is possible you know if you didn't have the various limitations that you had what would you actually do I mean it's such a powerful question it's the kind of question I try and ask my clients now if it's if it's the right question to ask because it can just unlock something
0: yeah why do you I mean like you do you think he asked that question of everybody who he had up in that plane like it it just strikes me that it might be mm. I, I'm projecting a lot onto him, but sure. you know I I, st- I still think that in some ways I learned to ask good questions mm. out of like wanting to have better conversations at mm. parties. Basically, like I can yeah. kind of remember having this insight at a party, which was like I'm kind of bored. Mm. Like, how can I make this? And then I started asking someone some questions about themselves, and it turned out that was really interesting. And that's how mm. I got good at asking questions. Yeah. It occurs to me that's a way. Mm. You know, a way to make a flying lesson with somebody like if you're the kind of person like you or me or him, it sounds like really interesting is to ask that question and see what happens.
1: Yeah. Why did he ask that question? That's a good question. I mean, I think I got to know this man because he then went on to like train me, teach me how to fly a plane um, as well as, you know, continuing to sort of support me and essentially coach me through a decision I was making about my career at the time and the change I needed to make in my career. So I think the answer to your question is, is like, there's a few bits to it. One is, I think he was listening in some way. You know, I turned up. I could have been anyone. I could have had any agenda. And, you know, I think he, he quickly realised that, like, the, the agenda around writing about a flying lesson, we could deal with that one in sort of, you know, 30 seconds, I'm gonna take up in the plane, then you're gonna go and write about it. I think he I think he was interested in in people. And I think where he could help people, he was prepared to do that. I think that's the kind of person he was. And I think because he was paying attention to the person in front of him, me, he picked up on something in me that I that was going on for me, that I sort of knew a bit about, but wasn't expecting to kind of deal with there. But he sort of picked up on something because he was listening, really. Um, it came up, it kind of, I guess it sort of happened before we went up for flying lesson. He, 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 we sat down for a coffee and he, um, we just started talking and he sort of sussed something out. And I remember we spent longer talking then than I thought we would. We talked about all sorts of stuff and who I was. And he was just curious. And I think I started responding to his curiosity. And through that, he realised there was, there was more to me at that point than just sort of wanting to kind of write an article. I was prepared to talk to him and I guess it's the dynamic, but I think it's the fact that he was kind of um, paying attention in the first place. And, you know, that happens when you listen to people as well as asking them sort of great questions.
0: Yeah. And like, what a cool thing to be asked that question literally whilst looking at down at, you know, I don't know how many square miles of, of the countryside.
1: I mean half of half of Hertfordshire I don't know how much it was, but um yeah, an amazing question. And you know, uh to this day I've got this intention that like one day the right client I'm gonna take up in a small plane. Yeah. And I'm gonna coach them at two and a half thousand feet, not while I'm flying the plane. Um you know. Yeah, while they're f- while
0: they're flying the plane?
1: Well, but maybe they could be sat next to the instructor um <laughs> in the front. But uh yeah, like it's an it's an amazing sort of place to be if you want the sh- sort of actual shift in perspective and um it's also just really good fun being up in small planes
0: <laughs> yeah and i know that you sometimes or you have taken clients to like the top of the walkie talkie uh yeah is that right for people who aren't yeah. in london or don't know that there's like a big uh t- funny shaped tower block in in the yeah. office block in the in the middle of the city of yeah. london yeah and, then, and it's got like a roof garden restaurant or cafe or something yeah. i've never been yeah. up there does that have yeah. a similar effect or or like why do you do that? Yeah,
1: well, I, I guess you know you're right. There's something there. I mean, it, you know, it's it's one of the sort of tall buildings in London. You can get up fairly easily. There's a you know there's a public gallery up there and a cafe, and you can sort of book tickets. But yeah, I think my thinking there is that um, it's really interesting to play with sort of a physical space when you're coaching someone. Um, you know, I think a lot of coaches um, maybe do sessions while they're walking sometimes. You know, I I know plenty of coaches who do that. It's a sort of similar thing. There's something about a relationship between the space you're in, the physical space you're in, and then I guess the sort of the symbolic space you're in. You know, if you walk with someone, there's this lovely sense of movement and, you know, you're getting from one place to another. I mean, that is kind of what coaching is about at its heart, isn't it? Sort of facilitating um, some movement in a client. So to actually move while you're doing that can be, a really kind of powerful thing and i think similarly there's something fun about you know taking somewhere taking someone somewhere they, they might not usually kind of find themselves that's about putting them in a different space and then you know when you're at the top of a building you literally have a different view of the world and you can really play with that you know i think i've done a coaching session inspired by um um uh, an exercise we did both on the training when i did it and, and also yours um with Vegard Olsen, um, and he, he took us through um, an exercise where we use space to represent um, a client's kind of um, experience of a, a situation or or sort of journey through sort of a problem.
0: Yeah, give give a bit future. more, a bit for people who don't know that. I, I I think someone once told me it might be an NLP exercise. I don't really know anything uh-huh. about NLP, uh-huh, but uh-huh. but I think it might be. But uh-huh. give a bit more of that because I think it's such a powerful yeah. exercise.
1: I think it has less to do with NLP. Um, in my understanding of what NLP is, but you know, maybe it's kind of um, yeah. taught as part yeah, of things. It. But um, it's it's yeah, it's you know, you you I've I've done it I've done it with clients since you, you know you use a sort of uh, a space. You know, I think we did it on a on a sort of a lawn, um, and you ask the client to kind of identify parts of the space and, and re- relate that part to a part of their life or a part of the situation they're bringing. Um, into the coaching session and then to move around the space physically. And it's a way of kind of shifting perspective and kind of putting yourself, you know, in a, in a place in time or in a particular situation, and then moving away from it and looking back at that, that point and sort of seeing what else you might see. And there's, there's an element there you can play with sort of time, you know, let's pick a, a point in the past that's represented by that spot. And then, you know, let's move to the present and the future. And it's a really powerful way of shifting someone's perspective. And there's something about, you know, doing that kind of, you know, a couple of hundred feet up in the air when you you have a very different sort of perspective than you might normally have.
0: That sort of, it's just, it's fun to play with it, I guess. And um, yeah, there's just a couple of stories that come to mind that I, I want to just share because they're so they relate so much to what we're talking about. One is that when you're out with someone in an environment on a walk or something, you just never know what, like, will show up. Yeah. um you know i remember once sitting with a client in the gardens by embankment station yeah. and then like this like crazy thing happened with the sun which was like the there was some like dust cloud from like the sahara or something that had flown all the way up and the sun went like orange at about 3 p.m in the afternoon and like I- i'm never gonna forget that conversation and it wouldn't have been like that and we were talking about important stuff at the moment and it's like yeah. Yeah. There's something about the spatial thing that I think also kind of cements memory, cements learning. Mm-hmm. And, and the other one, the cool, the cool, the funny story about the exercise you've just described is I was once doing it out in the front of um, Tate Modern on the south bank of, of the river. And and the client used the bridge that's there to describe like, mm-hmm. that's the journey she's on. And then we mm-hmm. we decided to, to end the session to get up on the bridge and see what was on the other side. And I had no, I couldn't remember. I was panicking a bit because I was like, what if on the other side is like, I don't know, prep? And I mean, I like Pre Among, but it's like that we don't want that to be the end of this mega journey that the client is on. But of course, for those who don't know London, the other side of that bridge is St. Paul's Cathedral. So we came across to see the, you know, one of the most beautiful buildings in the city right there waiting for us. And it was a very meaningful moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're right about that kind of, you know, cementing something. I, th- I think um, there's something really powerful about, you know, using a space in that way, you know, that and that movement and, um, because there's something so physical about it, right? When you sort of, when you use the word concrete, like concrete is a physical kind of substance. So you really are kind of um, cementing something. You kind of, you're, you're moving it just from the kind of, from just being something thought or symbolic to something kind of experienced and embodied. And, you know, even by walking around or, or kind of, you know, changing your physical kind of location.
0: Yeah, there is something really important about that, isn't there? About making it embodied. I mean, mm-hmm. I have heard people say, um, yeah, we we learn better when we're moving and that kind of thing. And mm. I once had this idea, you know how everyone always has their best ideas in the shower? You're someone who does that. You're always talking about ideas you have in the shower. Like a shower is an incredibly embodied experience. Mm. Like it's very um, sensory. Mm. And I've wondered before if like the re- one of the reasons we have, one of the reasons is that we're not doing something else and we just free our mind a little bit. But I've also wondered like, is it because like all our nerves are switched on because there's water running down our body? Like that's a... Yeah. That's yeah. a really interesting, like the, the embodied nature of those kind of exercises yeah, yeah. is a very interesting part of it.
1: When I was a kid, I used to find that I used to have to mow the lawn, you know, every week or we took it in turns, me and my brothers. And I, I often found that it was quite hard work pushing a lawnmower around quite a big, you know, a big lawn. But that sort of in doing that, um, I was able to think in a way that I wasn't normally able to. Now, whether that's because my body was engaged in something else or because, you know, I was just being left alone to think. I mean, something I'm something aware of in terms of being able to think in the shower is it's 10 minutes, you know, um, where I don't have to do other things. Yeah. And yeah. there are often a lot of other things to do, you know, in my mornings.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. And Mike's referring in, in some ways to parenthood, <laughs> I think. that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Mike, let's like, it, this is a beautiful little... Um, sidebar or or diversion yeah. or fast forward to things we might have talked about later in the conversation. Yeah. But let's just rewind a little bit. So you're having this conversation and then the flying lessons. And at the time you're working as an editor at Itchy, right? Which was a which is travel yeah. guides. I, I don't know if it exists anymore because travel guides aren't as much a thing. But like that was what you were doing at the time. Is that right? Yeah. And and so what was the insight or shift that that yeah. the, the, if you were if you were the king of all this land what would you do what what did that lead to what were the changes that happened
1: so you're right i was doing that um i was also running club nights which is um kind of alongside so i sort of started a business um um with another promoter running club nights that some of which you came to and you know it's part of that kind of the the other side of i guess our relationship That um you know, through Cass, my wife, and you've been at uni with her and, you know, you came and and so I was doing that
0: as well. Yeah. Just to say, Mike, uh, I, one of the things I ask guests is to send over like essentially talking point questions, but for listeners, the way I uh, ask for that is like, what would someone who really knows my journey tell, tell Robbie to ask me about? And, uh, you sent some great ones, but if it had been me, I have the, I have the honor in this situation of being someone who knows your journey really well. I would have like, ask Mike about his time in the world's only indie air guitar band,
1: which was... Which I was in at the time. Yeah. At this time, exactly. Right. Yeah. It was part of that, you know, that uh, that business that I was running it was the show that we put on every week for people yeah, like and,
0: you. And, and for people who don't, like... Uh, <laughs> I, always, it was, I was thinking about this, Mike, I haven't said this to you. Um, You know, I think about practice a lot. It's like, you know, <clears throat> how real is talent is a question I think about quite a lot and how much of it is just practice that we don't notice we've done like if you want to like see how much practice improves someone uh watch like four people three random people and mike playing air guitar or like air drums or something and you'll see that if you practice air guitar you get really good at it it is extraordinary extraordinary to see we once did that on a training that that we were running uh together with the coaching school and it was very uh instructive how bad i was at air anything um and how good you were so it's like uh, you know important like, part of your story mike
1: it's something i don't do very much i'm maybe i've uh, i'm out of practice now but maybe it's something yeah. i
0: can uh, I wonder if you could do that do as a good coaching good. exercise yeah maybe Somehow.
1: yeah well it, I, you know, you, you're talking about it i mean i remember what it was like and and uh i guess part of um maybe why it looked like i was I'm good at it. I mean, look, like, you're, you're, you're pretending to play a guitar. I mean, I'm not sure how much skill there is involved, but it was something that I really enjoyed doing, right? And that's, I think that's got a lot to do with it. It was a it was a part of a show in front of a crowd, and you know, it was about having lots of fun. And um it was it was loads of fun. It was absolutely brilliant. Um to go back to your question about what you know what was going on at that time, um the I actually I moved from the editing the travel guides to running the 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 um uh, the clubs and the sort of the event promotions business full time because it, it became you know more successful and um needed more time. It was something I wanted to do and it was it was a lot of fun and, you know, you'd have fun um going on club nights, but also going to festivals and uh, and also just you know, it was the first time I'd run my own business um with my business partner and I really enjoyed that. So whole new experience and sort of followed my nose into it um there was a point um maybe five six seven years into that where i i realized that it wasn't something i wanted to do forever um for lots of reasons partly to do with the lifestyle and and um, you know there were a lot of late nights and um it was hard work i mean it was a it was a successful business but um i think doing anything well particularly when you're starting and building something you got to invest time in it and effort um, and to keep that business going and successful meant investing, you know, continually a lot of time and effort into it. And um, I realized that it wasn't something I could sort of keep doing forever in that way. Um, not least because of, you know, um, the sort of the, the rhythm of it in terms of late nights and a lot of work at weekends. And um, I was, and um, Cass and I were starting to think about, you know, having a family at some point, I knew that kind of wasn't going to work. So maybe that was the point, and this was kind of quite a long time after the, the, the question about being king of the world was asked, but that was the point where um, I realised I needed to think about if I was going to do something else, what was it going to be? And how was I going to make that decision? And then that change. And maybe that, you know, having said I couldn't answer that question um, when I was first asked it, maybe sort of that question sort of stayed with me in some sense. Um, and it was then a question I sort of started asking myself because I wasn't in a hurry to to change things. Um, you know, it was still a lot of funding on what, what I was doing. and But it was it, there was a sort of sense that it was actually kind of a few years before my 40th birthday I was sort of thinking that represents some kind of, I don't know, pivot point in my life, something like, you know, maybe that's where the second half of my working life begins. You know, I've been working since 20 after uni. And it sort of took on a sort of significance. I thought by 40, I'll sort of want to know what I'll be doing if I'm going to make a change. And I I think that was the point where I sort of, um, in a way, started kind of coaching myself in that I started thinking about who I was and um, what my values are and what my strengths are and and what I wanted from work. And, And sort of gave myself in a way the time to make an informed decision rather than following my nose, which is sort of what I'd done before.
0: Yeah, and and so something that was going on there was there was uh, I guess values or, or or preferences about lifestyle, but as you were asking yourself those questions, what were the values or the strengths mm. that that maybe weren't getting used as much in that club night business that you wanted to to mm. have to be more fully involved in the work you were doing?
1: Yeah, well, I th- I think I didn't know, but that's that's the question I started asking myself, and you know you'll know you'll know this through the work that we did um sort of this time a year ago and then kind of early into this into this year that i was very aware that um i felt i had something i could do or something to offer that was more than i was offering at the time so it was a sort of as, as unformed as that but i sort of knew that while i did enjoy doing what i was doing with you know the editorial work and then the, the clubs that I kind of there was more I was capable of in some way, and it became really important to me to find out what that might be. Um, How did you know there was more you were capable of? Well, partly because um, I think I was sort of becoming less and less satisfied with thinking about that. You know, it was it was it was fun, and then it became less fun as I um, sort of. Maybe kind of went from enjoying the kind of club nights less in of themselves to enjoying running a business more. Then that was a lot of fun. That was a very satisfying thing to do. You know, managing a business is a, it's a great challenge and can be really rewarding. But then maybe as I kind of um, did that more and sort of I don't know, moved through a kind of learning phase there, and um, maybe felt that there was there needed there was something I don't know. There's there's got to be more to this. Like, I can sort of you know there's nothing new here or um there's nothing new to learn here like if I just keep doing this forever like how will I feel about that so maybe there was something around learning there was also something about kind of the product and the outcome you know the the work you know you you do work and something comes out the other end and what was that and you know I was I was helping people have a great time you were Um, that that's not a bad thing to do that's not a bad thing to do um I guess I was, you know, to some extent helping some people um, and some money, you know, we were employing people and that's not a bad thing to do either. But I think there was a part of me was like sort of thinking, maybe there's more I can do in terms of the difference I make in someone's life. Um, I think around that time as well, I started making um, a bit of a connection to uh, mental health as well. So um, both in terms of sort of my family and their history, but also in, in my own experience, I'd, I'd gone through a couple of, um, I guess, periods where I'd felt um, what you might call depressed or, or, or very anxious. Um, earlier in my, sort of my 20s, uh, I think I started feeling something like that again around that time, sort of quite anxious, sort of in, in a way I couldn't really explain. Um, and I'm probably linked to work and, and sort of the stress of it because um, there was a lot to do. Um, and it was quite um, all-consuming at times. Um, and so I think I I kind of started to take an interest in that and started to do some reading around um, mental health and sort of um, self-development and growth and and then kind of discovered, um, not discovered, but kind of started reading about counselling and psychotherapy as as something that people do and sort of started thinking about that. And I think then kind of connections started forming and, you know, with with uh, an idea that you know that there's this thing called counselling or psychotherapy to think about. You know, I, I wonder how that works and what it is that someone who does that kind of um, how they feel about that and what they get from it, as well as what their clients might get from it. And I think that's really when kind of dots started forming, and I started um, becoming aware that you know there were other ways that I could sort of feel satisfied or challenged in my working life. And and maybe at that point, I started kind of doing what I, you know, what I see in coaching clients often where after a period of reflection, they go out there and they start doing some research and finding, finding out, you know, um, what their ideas kind of, what they look like in the real world.
0: Yeah. What did you do? What was the going out?
1: Yeah. So I talked to, um, I had a godmother who was, um, a psychotherapist. I talked to her,
0: um, I did it. Yeah, that, that that was present in your life as a mm. in a professional mm. way.
1: Yeah, um, um, it's funny because I it's not something I remember very much, yeah. but I, I remember it now. You know, it was it, that was part of um, I guess the research the research I was doing at the time. Um, I talked to family members who'd, who'd been in therapy. Um, I'd never been in therapy in a sort of meaningful way myself, and and sort of didn't really have an experience of it. Um, and I did an intro course. I went and did a, an introduction to counselling course at Birkbeck um, with, with a very open mind. Just, you know, I, I think I was very conscious that I didn't want to rush anything and I didn't want to kind of project into the future too much. And, and, and
0: Why I, do you think kind that, of, that feels like a really important thing to, certainly was for me, to think about mm-hmm. in periods of transition it's still a struggle for me now to not mm. project too far in the future and then get trapped mm. by that. How did you know that, do you think, at, at that time, to, to, that it was important to not project too far, to mm. to, to mm. kind of just experiment?
1: Yeah, because I think part of the the thinking I was doing at the time was not only thinking about what I might do, but thinking about how I'd got to where I'd got to by that point. And I was very aware that... Um. You know, since i'd left uni i'd kind of done a succession of things that kind of almost happened by accident yeah. you know the very first job i ever got because i needed the money was in recruitment and i i sort of hadn't even heard of recruitment until like a month before i applied i mean i needed a job somebody told me about an opportunity i went for it i got the job did that for a year at the end of that i went and did something else and it was sort of i was sort of i guess um i followed my nose and to some extent i did you know what I needed to to do other things. I was in bands at the time, so you know, I for a while because I needed the money. I mean, and... Question,
0: Mike. This yeah. uh, this is this this is like uh, listeners are going to be like, why is he asking that? But it, but it's it's an important question that I need to ask you. Which is, I yeah. did some research before this podcast, and it was I was saying to you before we switched on the recording, like it's quite fun to research your friend. Um, were you once in a film called What a Girl Wants as Libby's band member? I was. <laughs> I love this. Like a. It, uh, for 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 listeners who are curious it has 5.8 out of 10 on imdb um but i just googled mike toller i can't believe i hadn't done it before and that was there so that was a part was and that was probably about this time as well
1: yeah well, well th- you know the guys i was in a band with um, they were um acting and working for uh, actors agencies and, and one of them a really good friend of mine charlie got a got a part in this film and they needed a band to like they needed a wedding band in the film and so he got his band in, and uh, we ended up being, I think, in the first and last scene. And I even got a, I think, I got a line in, um, which was, um, oh which "I'm not going to watch this film." So yeah, this and you're an on
0: IMDb movie. as well, which it's is an so actual,
1: many it's, an, it's an actual Hollywood film. I think 5.8 is probably, um, it's uh, a bit of a higher rating than it
0: deserves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, listeners, if you, um, if anyone's listening, wants to watch that film or has seen it. Wants to send uh, Mike some feedback on his one line, please, please yeah. do. Um, sorry, but I interrupted that. But I just wanted to ask because uh, it's another like that's another relationship that we can add to it. Yeah, uh, you know, move Hollywood movie actor and uh, viewer. Uh, one day, maybe if that happens, I will let you know. Um, but but sorry to kind of interrupt the flow there, Mike. I guess I just want to let's let's go back into that a little bit and just yeah, like you did this experimenting.
1: Yeah and I was just I think you know in terms of um not you know not projecting I was very conscious that I'd you know kind of gone from one thing to another by happy accident a lot of the time but that I hadn't necessarily thought about any of those moves I mean look I was in bands because I loved it and um I was I did that film because it was a you know a great one off I mean it told me that I don't want to be in films it's you know fundamentally a really boring thing to do <laughs> sitting around a film set all day waiting for the one scene you're going to do but it was fun and you know i i think it's a great way to live your life in a way you know see, see what comes your way and um you know when it feels right do it and see what happens and that you know that had given me a lot of great experiences and um brought me into the business that i was running and i'd never expected to do that so there's something about you know sort of taking life on in that way and trusting serendipity like you you can you can do great things by living that way. But I think I was just really conscious of wanting to try something different. So I'd, I'd sort of made myself aware that that's how I'd done things. And I thought, you know, maybe you can do something different this time. You can, you can, rather than just sort of jumping into the next thing that interests you, you can take your time to think about it and research and explore and see how you feel. And, you know, even going on to the counselling course, you know it would have been very easy for me at that point in my fantasy to go right that's it I'm going to work as a counselor and I mean I had a pretty good idea I was interested in it but I wanted to actually find out something about it before making a decision and you know that course helped me to do that and gave me the confidence then to go on to do a full training as a psychotherapist but even then I was I was sort of very conscious that um that wasn't just sort of a means to an end I mean I, I Part, part of it was about going back and doing some learning in and of itself, which I was ready to do at that time. Um, but it was also an opportunity to explore what it would be like to do that work before really making a decision to kind of commit to it long-term, which is what I ended up doing. But because I found out, you know, what that work is about and, and then, I guess, relating it to that thinking I was doing about my strengths and my values and... Um, sort of testing the fit really
0: mm.
1: and deciding that the fit was good enough and and that it was
0: yeah, when something did you I, like, I wanted to think? if you were in that space of, of thinking mm. like um maybe mm. maybe this is just yeah. learning maybe it's something for the long term like psychotherapy courses are quite long where in that process between mm. you know that first intro course and the end did you realize mm. no yet yeah, this is going to be something I want to do. This is going to be a thing that I'm doing. Have you realized that for sure? Like, I know that you're working, we talk about that in a a bit, but like how your work is now, but yeah. When did you realize Mm -hmm. that and how? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, look,
1: I did, I did the intro course. I did another, I did another little intro somewhere else in a different modality as well. And both of those, like, first of all, like, I love the fact that I was learning again. I mean, depending, depending on what, psychotherapy training you do, there's some theory and it's, you know, it's um it's challenging to like, you know, um learn something new in that way. And um some of it's quite kind of difficult to get your head around. And I I really I really like that, relish that 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 kind of challenge and that opportunity. So I was really enjoying learning something new. And I was particularly, you know, the, the modality that I work in, which is I work psychodynamically, it's this amazing body of like thinking and theory behind that um you know coincidentally I mean, not co- sorry not coincidentally um it's about development and growth and I was at that point I was you know thinking about my own growth and my own development and you know who I was and and to some extent you know why I'd struggled with what I'd struggled with and you know if I'd been anxious or depressed I mean that's what psychotherapy psychotherapy is about so you're kind of learning this this, this this amazing kind of way of thinking about that and you can relate it to yourself and that's that was sort of very appealing so i was enjoying that and sort of wanted more of that and i knew that going into career as a, as a therapist would um, give me more of that because it's you don't learn it once i mean you keep you have to keep learning it all the time in every session with every client um and i think i sort of realized that and then i and then as well as the kind of the Sort of the theoretical learning, um, as part of a training, you also start working with clients, and you know, I think again, that was something that I had to do as part of the training, but then I didn't have to go on to work with clients after I'd finished the training. But I saw that as an opportunity to see what that would be like. You know, I hadn't worked, um, and I was, I was, we can come to this in a minute. I was also starting to coach people at this time, and sort of there was a sort of parallel training um sort of path going on for me and I'd I'd started um, coaching people as well around the same time as I started working in in a placement as a therapist but you know that it those those experiences were an opportunity to see just what it's like to do to do this work and then to make a decision about it on that basis and that's kind of what I did and I think you know um there was a certain work work there was a certain amount of work I had to do um on my psychotherapy um training placement that you know, i had to commit to and that gave me enough of a sense of do i want to do this beyond this training and i realized i did mm.
0: yeah. but, but doing it for real right doing it for real yeah mm-hmm. and maybe that'll be a part of the coaching story as well like mm. definitely want to find some time in this conversation to speak about uh we've spoken before about how or i've said to you before how valuable i think it is to have you in a conversation about about coaching and what it is and what it isn't because of that perspective that you have around coaching and psychotherapy and anyone who's ever been in a room where you're getting where someone is learning about coaching it's impossible for someone in that room not to ask oh isn't this psychotherapy or what's the difference between coaching and psychotherapy so let's let's get into that in this conversation a bit later but you've pointed to the parallel that was happening at the same time and you've said already that it was it was an introduction. It was a conversation with Phil who like yeah. uh, people who have listened to all the episodes of the podcast have already met. Um, and if you haven't, then do check out the conversations. Uh, there's two episodes with Phil and we'll put links wherever people are listening, um, including one with uh, Inga Umlia, who we might come back to as well. Cause she was on your, I think your training, right? With the coaching school. So y- you and right. her go way back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we had a great, she and I and Phil had a great conversation about their work on abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, but around this time, and I know this story a little bit, somebody, one of your friends said to you, you told them what you were doing with the right. psychotherapy intro training and that interest. And they said, you've got to speak to Phil Bolton. So exactly. say a little bit about that, about who Phil was to you and, and what happened in that conversation. Yeah. And then maybe that yeah. takes us into the coaching school.
1: Yeah. So Phil and I were at uni together, but, um, we only overlapped by one year. So I didn't, I knew who he was, but I didn't really know him very well, um, and he left at the end of my first year, and you know, went off, and, and um, you know, um, left left the rest of us to it. And then um, it was it was while I was um, on one, of, I think one of my intro courses, or maybe I would started my training. In any case, I I, I um, met a mutual friend of um, of ours at a wedding, and just telling him about what I was doing and the, the fact I was thinking about making a change and as you say, he said, you've got to speak to Phil Bolton. Like he works as a coach. And I, I still, this, this is really the first time that I'd sort of heard the word coaching used in this way. sort of you know, beyond kind of sports coaching. Um, But what, what our friend and Patrick told me um, about what he, he, I think he'd worked with a coach possibly with Phil. um, And what he told me about his experience of coaching and sort of what he knew about what Phil did was just really interesting. So, um, I followed his suggestion and dropped for the line, and and um, this would have been in 2013. Um, so actually, maybe I was between um, courses because I took a year out then to um, save a bit of money and and uh, also got married um, that year. Um, and met Phil not with any particular kind of agenda, but just sort of just to find out more about you know what he had to say about coaching, given that our friend Patrick had sort of said it was worth doing that. And, um, and I did, I met him a few times um, just for coffee over you know, several months. And we just kind of um, come together and talk. And he, he told me all about what he did and, and you know, what coaching is and how he'd sort of um, set up a, car- a career as a coach, um, working in, internally um, first at, at Deloitte, and then going on and setting up as a career coach in private practice. And, and what he told me was really exciting. Um, in so many ways, you know, there was this, um, obviously, I was thinking about working with people to help them to do something important. And he was saying, this is an amazing way to do that. And um, I liked what he was telling me about what coaching is, maybe versus what, you know, psychotherapy is. And I also liked what he was telling me about the way it allowed him to kind of build a career for himself. And, you know, I was, um, I think, at the time, ready to work for myself, rather than for someone else or even with someone else. Um, I was aware that if I was going to work as a therapist, it would take some time to um, to, to, to kind of, you know, do that work um, and, and be paid for it um, just because the training is um, quite long. Um, so that was appealing too. Um, and then Phil also started talking about the fact that he was at a point in his career where he wanted to do something slightly different. And his idea was that he wanted to train people to work as coaches. You know, he he was thinking about how he could kind of increase his impact and, you know, um, increase the impact of coaching. And and I think he, at that point, he was thinking, if I train some coaches, then there'll be more coaches in the world. And that's not a bad thing. Um, So something kind of came out of those conversations where I, again, thought, yeah, you know, if he's going to train people, then I'm up for that because that's one way, a really good way to find out what coaching is about and what it's like to do it. And whether or not this will work for me. Again, I sort of hadn't, I didn't decide to then work as a coach. I was like, I want to find out more about it, and doing a training would be a great way to do that. Um, also, through that conversation, um, I guess what came out of it was that Phil maybe wanted some support in doing that. I've been running a, an events management company, you know, promoting events, essentially getting people into rooms. And um, if Phil was going to run a training, he needed some people in the room to train. So between the two of us, we we we, we agreed that we were going to um, do that the following year, and that um, he was going to put together um, a training that he had been thinking about, um, that he thought would be a you know a good way to um, train and, and support coaches in doing that work. And I was going to help him um, put it on, so I, I helped him with some of the kind of the practical aspects, supported him doing that, and that's what we did. So I was in the first cohort along with Inga and some other amazing people, and.
0: Yeah. James has been on the podcast as well. Right. Yeah, he was in that cohort. Mm-hmm. And, um, Nicole, who, who people who, knew, who followed my work will know that I've done lots of work with like, amazing group of people in that, in that first group. And then <clears throat> about this time, like I was thinking about this before this call, Mike, one of the like the most important things in some ways that has happened in my life happened, which is that you added me on LinkedIn. And I don't know if I've ever, have I ever said this to you? Like, but like. You added me on LinkedIn, and I was in my own version of and so we 'd known each other really as at this point like i 'd been to, a, to feeling gloomy a lot when I was a student, student and and just after I graduated, feeling gloomy by the way it if, if was the night. name of the club night right which is and by the way, like the, the club night I was thinking about this as well the, all, the both the club nights that I went to like they they were viral things like you couldn 't help but talk about feeling gloomy and the india guitar band uh, I mean, the Miserableists, right was the name and <laughs> some like a mate and then club de fromage like these names actually it's worth saying them because people who were living in london especially like yeah. north london at the time yeah will remember them and it's yeah club de fromage might, is it still going yeah
1: maybe? yeah club de fromage is still going so it's so, going strong by the yeah, sounds so, of it so we
0: we like i'd known you in that way i'd known you a little bit through cast and i think when i'd moved back to london um We've been to pub quizzes quite a lot for mm-hmm. some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh of, well that that they're fun is is a reason, but I'm not sure why like that particular group formed, maybe some mutual friends I, we both did quizzes with think, at different times I, in our lives or something. I, th-
1: I think it's because we kept winning them, Robbie, and we realized <laughs> that we were onto a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think that was a lot more to do with you and Nick Hall than it was to do with me, but uh but uh I remember yeah, Mike is excellent at pub quizzes. Anyway. At some point in that period, like I was in my own career transition and, the, mm-hmm. and there's lots of echoes in what you've said about, um, about the things you were looking for, why you were looking for them in my story, which I won't go into now. And then you added me on LinkedIn and, you know, instead of it saying, you know, founder of feeling gloomy or whatever it might have said in your headline, it said mm-hmm. uh, professional coach. Mm-hmm and trainee psychotherapist. And I'm pretty sure those are the exact words because it mattered a lot. And I was like, wait a minute, shit. I didn't know Mike did this. We've just been doing pub quizzes in the last two right. years. And I, I haven't heard anything about that. And this yeah. is exactly what I'm interested in. Yeah. And that's when I said, messaged you or emailed, or I don't even know what it was and said, should we meet up? And it turned out you were doing some of your practice work at King's College London on the Strand. And I was working in an office building in Somerset yeah. House on the Strand in right. London. So we were, we were also, you know, literally...
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, within a hundred
0: meters of each other every week. Mm. Um, and that's and I was doing an intro to psychotherapy course mm. at the time. And and we met up and we mostly talked about that. Mm. Um, and then at the end, as I was coming to a point where I, I came to a different point with my experiment with counseling and psychotherapy, which was, this isn't for me right now, you know, despite going in with that expect, you know, similar experimental intention, we started talking about the coaching school. Um, yeah. you having done that first year and mm. that first, um, cohort and looking for a second cohort which i yeah. ended up being part of again with a lot of amazing yeah amazing people i, I remember
1: meeting you um in the cafe in, in the courtyard at somerset house i don't remember the linkedin ad but oh, i'll tell you shame. why i did that i'll I, tell I, you yeah, why go I did on, that I do, go on well because you know the coaching school program was not just about um you know the the sort of the, the skills and the tools you need to work as a coach but it was about getting coaches up and running and part of that is tell people you're working as a coach because, you know, I was looking for clients as part of that training. And um, so, you know, there's some thinking that we did, which we would have done with you. And we've done with, you know, everyone we've trained since, which is you're going to go and do this work. So who are you going to do it with and how are you going to spread that message? And one way I did that was to get on LinkedIn probably for the first time in a serious way and, you know, change my job title and, and start talking to people about the fact that I was doing this work and that I was looking for clients. And, you know, that's what happened. I got some clients as well as, you know, conversation with you and started doing that work
0: that year. Mm, That's cool. Um, Yeah. I was going to ask why you were doing it. And that is a great reason. And it worked, right? Because I became a client. Well, actually, indirectly of yours, because you were my coach.
1: Mm. One of the
0: amazing things you did slash we do on the coaching school trainings Mm. is give people a professional coach. And I still think it's kind of bizarre that every coach training doesn't do that. Yeah. I can kind of know why, because you'd have to add on a chunk of money and people already feel like they're paying quite a lot for coach training, but such a fundamental thing. And I'm always a bit confused when I hear about people who have trained as coaches, want to work as coaches, and have never been professionally coached. And it was a great shortcut to that. It made us all do it, which definitely made us all better coaches. So you did get a client out of that, which was me, but you also got a client for the coaching school because... Uh The conversations we had in the end, I'd had a kind of false start with another, I'd done like a free weekend at Mm -hmm. another coach training organization in the UK and it hadn't felt like my people and it hadn't felt like my thing. And it might have been because I was super ill when I did that one. I had the worst cold ever, I remember, but it might have been because it wasn't my people and it wasn't my thing. And Mm -hmm. then when I spoke to you about that and then Phil, Mm -hmm. it definitely felt like, oh, this is different. These are different people doing something different, much Mm -hmm. more alive, much more entrepreneurial, much more kind of. I think deeper Mm. than what I'd done, what I'd experimented with elsewhere and Mm. very practical. And so it was, you know, you know, for me, the rest is to a certain extent history. Yeah. Um, And that's an amazing, amazing moment to reflect on really.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as, as a coach, but also as um, someone who was involved on that training and still is, and now is working with you training other people, uh, you know, on the coaching school program. I'm glad that conversation happened because, you know, I know what you now do with what you learn on that program. And you know, you've coached me and I know that you know you coach other people and I have a sense of the difference you make. And I'm I'm just really, really happy that you know you found coaching and that you've you've done what you've done with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you. And and I want to talk a little bit about your work as a coach and amongst many other things. But I wonder before that You know what it's interesting to think about the experience of we've had a few people on the podcast who have done this in different ways of training Mm -hmm. coaches and I wonder what like as you look back on the coaching school as it was which you know for the last couple of years hasn't run a public Mm -hmm. um training I think Phil described it when he was on the podcast as resting something like that Mm -hmm. um what was the experience like of of running you know four or five cohorts um and and we can talk a bit more about what we're doing right now which is Mm -hmm. which I'm really I'm you know I'm really happy that we're taking that amazing structure mm. that, that Phil and Fegard and other people you created gradually and evolved and, and we're using it and making it alive again now. Cause I think it's, mm. it's amazing structure, amazing content in there, all that kind of thing. But yeah, what was it like? So you were a partner in that business. Mm-hmm. Um, you were kind of a trainee on the first cohort. You were then. It was a cool thing. I think that the coaching school did, you know, and I did this role once as well of having somebody who's a, you know who's kind of near the start of their, their their journey as a coach on the training as well as a kind of trainer. So you did that on my cohort, and again, I think on on another one, and then you also maybe and then you stepped into one of the trainer roles, mm-hmm. um, and coach people as well. Like, but you were also a partner in the business, you know, making it work and running events and all that kind of thing. So yeah, what mm-hmm. did you? What are you? What are your reflections on all that now?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's just it's interesting that you sort of you you've described that kind of movement through, um, you know, not just a program, but, you know, having been involved in several programs that uh, I've done different things on the different programs, you know, moving from a trainee to now someone who's, you know, working with you to deliver a training and you have your version of that. And it reminds me that, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, that, that training, it's about it's a learning process, right? For For people who want to do this work. But it reminds me that like we all carry on learning. I think one of the the most important things that Phil taught me was that when you start to work as a coach, you 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 invest in the idea of lifelong learning, not just for your clients, but for yourself as well. You know, and that, that applies to my work as a therapist, what I said before. You know, you're always learning more. Every every client, in fact, every conversation you have, even with the same client, is gonna be different. And it's part of the, you know, the, the kind of what's amazing about working with people in these ways, and you know, the same applies to being involved in a, a, a training program like that. You know, coming back in as, um, you know, now with with um, the coaches we're training at Curve, I'm just reminded as I have been every time I've done a training that there's there's just so much more for me to learn about this work, and you know, training people is a great way to do that. As well as you know, giving them some new skills that they can you know take into their work, in 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 various ways.
0: Yeah, let's come to let's come to Curve and that work that we're doing now, bringing mm-hmm. bringing the coaching school a new to a new part of its life. Um, but before that, I just wanted to get your reflections on like, yeah, the kind of that yeah that that time with the business in its first iteration, the way that it was when we trained and and like. You know, I remember the kind of relentless sales process is what I mostly remember from you about that time. And I just wonder what your reflections right. on all that is. Like, it, you know, because it's like, yeah, I know yeah. it's like from running group coaching programs, I think yeah. the, the learning totally transfers. It's yeah. an enormous amount. It's a much, much bigger amount of effort. <clears throat> Let me say this. How can I say this? So let's say there's an amount of effort. or energy that you have to invest to potentially create a one-on-one coaching client. Let's say you're trying to get six people in a room for a coaching training. It is more than six times the effort to do that, or at least it it often is. It certainly was. It's one of the reasons that I shifted the way I run my group coaching. And I um, had another guest, Toku McCree, who said something similar. It's like, if you try and enroll for a group program in the same way that you enroll one-on-one clients, yeah, and you're trying to get 10 people or six people or five people, or whatever, it's exhausting. And that's one of the things I remember about the coaching school enrolling those programs.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I guess I had a sense of this when I was running events and club nights. Um, it's hard to get people together in a room. You know, you've got to work really hard at that um,
0: Why do you in think all that sorts is- of ways.
1: Yeah. Um, well, in relation to club nights, there's competition and you know, you've got to build a reputation and you have gotta um build a great product and then deliver it again and again and sort of, you know, build up a customer base and what word has word has to spread and that's that's part of it. I think in terms of running a coaching program, um it's a slightly different challenge. You know, you you're you don't open your doors to kind of um sort of anybody who who comes. You you have to think carefully about who you're working with and is this the right person at the right time and is this the right group of people and it, you know yeah, was, i
0: don't think every coaching program does that much thinking about this kind pro- of
1: thing probably That's not i mean we definitely did it was i think it was part of phil's thinking in in um, you know how and why he set up the program he did there was you know he had a he had a specific idea about um, sort of the level of sort of quality and intensity of the program and mm. it wasn't going to be right for everyone or it wasn't going to be right for Everyone at the same time. And you know, something that we found. And again, you know, this is this is how it goes. You have an idea, and this is this is what happens in coaching as well. You have an idea, um, you think about whether it's worth trying, then you try, and then you see what happens, and then you you modify. And I think what we what we discovered through running um certainly the first four cohorts um, was that it takes a lot of work with a with a program like that to get the right people together at the you know at the right time for them and and for us and you know just on the level of dates i mean you know the the, the way the program's set up is that there are some in-person training modules and that means you have to have everyone together and you know that's that's three weekends and that's that's a big commitment and someone might be busy doing something else so even if they are the right person at the right time they just might not be able to make it and you know that that aspect of it um, became sort of increasingly um, complicated. And then, you know, there's a business model and there's an amount of time you spend um, finding the right people and 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 not just sort of um, selling them um, a, a training program, but also making sure that they can come. And, um, you know, people's lives are complicated. They have lots of moving parts and they couldn't always come. So I think a really important sort of part of the, the coaching school in that story is that while we were interested in setting up a training organization, it wasn't all we wanted to do, you know. Um, then as now, you know, I think a, a really important part of the way we, we think about that program is that the, the the trainers, the facilitators on it, work as coaches primarily. And that's that's their value really on that program. They're not just trainers. Um, they're coaches who come in and um, work with Uh, new coaches to do that work and share their experience and support them and uh, you know I found that I was spending a lot more time um, looking for potential participants for another coaching school program than I wanted to given how difficult it was and the way we'd set it up Uh, and so we made a decision at at some point that um, the, the model wasn't working and that you know it was a great program and that we could deliver it to individuals or a group that came to us and asked us for it but that really our focus wasn't going to be to you know put it out there and, and sort of um, keep talking to people in that kind of open doorway yeah and and that was a good decision that was a good decision to make I think for, 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 for everybody
0: yeah yeah and what's been interesting about the this podcast is I've spoken to Kim Morgan, who is the founder of Barefoot. I've spoken to Robert Stevenson, yeah. who was, uh-huh. but interestingly is not, I think, according to his LinkedIn is moving on now, was the center director at Animas. And right. what, one of the things that came across was that actually, although both of them were, are undeniably have the same love of learning and developing and growing and helping other people do that, what yeah. it felt like to me in both conversations, it'd be interesting if listeners agree and if Kim and, and Robert agree, yeah. they were trainers in some ways first and mm-hmm. and leaders um before you know and, and it was more important to them to be a mm. trainer to be a leader mm. to run a training organization than it was to have their individual yeah. practices coaches at least right. at the time Now, right. what's interesting the reason i say that's interesting about robert is i think that he's leaving to focus more on his coaching um, right. moving on from animus f- for now who knows whether yeah. he'll, he'll go back because yeah. i know he's had a long relationship with that company yeah. Yeah. but it strikes me as um you know, it, it resonates there. My experience of speaking to them resonates with what I have known about your yeah. experience of running the coaching yeah. school and what, what you've just said.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm aware that at different times in our lives, we might want different things from our careers. I mean, that's, that's my story, right? Um, yeah. The reason I, I, I decided to retrain and, and make the career change I did was that um, ultimately I wanted to um do the work of psychotherapy and coaching and yet, you know, then training coaches, that was, that was, it was exciting to be involved in that and it sort of speaks to my entrepreneurial side, but my focus wasn't to set up another business kind of, of, of that kind. Um, you know, I run my coaching business and I enjoy that, but what I, what I really enjoy about that is the fact that I get to work as a coach with people and the same for my psychotherapy practice. Um, you know, I still have an entrepreneurial side and I, I kind of, um, I play with that in other ways, but you know, then and still now like the the sort of the, the the main part of what I want my working life to be is to to sit with people and think about their experience in that direct way and uh, and do that relational work and, and it's not to sort of um uh run run a, a kind of a, a bigger business or an organization at this point
0: yeah yeah that's it and what a what a great thing an important thing to know. And it's like, it strikes me that it speaks a little bit to what you were saying about slowing down in your career change. Mm-hmm. It's like a, the, the previous you, a you, you know, the you before you did that might have just rolled on into the coaching school without noticing that actually it wouldn't get you where, where you really wanted yeah. to be. But probably yeah. because you've slowed down, maybe because you've just grown, maybe for other reasons. And obviously the business partners you have affect that kind of thing. Mm. Like it, it sounds like absolutely yeah. the right move to step away at that point.
1: It's that thing about projecting, you know, like, of course, you have to have an idea to like, try an idea out, but then you can find out what it's like. And you can change your mind. You know, I mean, the coaching school might have ended up sort of meaning something very different. And then we would have done something different for it. But the point is, it didn't. And that's fine. And, you know, and both Phil and I um, made, made, made a decision about what we both wanted from that. And yeah. like, for us at the time, it was, I think, the right decision to make.
0: Yeah, yeah. For some reason, this is is a funny little uh, uh, thing to say, but it just really reminded me of something that Noel Gallagher said about Oasis recently, which was, Mm -hmm. he said, basically, like, a lot of that was quite hellish to be a part of as a human. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a lot of conflicts Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing, but he doesn't regret doing it, because Mm -hmm. it meant a lot to so many people. And people Mm. still come up to him now and tell him how much it meant to them and means to them. And it does to me. Like that was the band that I got into when I was like 11 or 10 or whatever. And it like got me into music, all kinds of things. And I, the reason I'm saying that, Mike, is because that's how I feel about the coaching school as well. Like, I feel like I'm so glad you did it because it means a lot to me and to a lot of other people that, you know, Mm. that that went through that training. And like, I've never... I've never heard someone else talking about their coaching training and wished I'd done that training instead of what I did. And maybe that's just a healthy way to live without, without regrets about that kind of thing. But I think also it speaks to, you know, how it was for me and Mm. for, for, for at least some of the other people who who did that training, the exact right program at exactly the right time with exactly the right people.
1: Yeah. And for me too, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a privilege to be trained by Phil and to work with him in delivering that training and, and, you know, you know helping him train other people um yeah in every sense you know um I don't know much about other trainings I've been along to a few sort of intros and and um I feel the same as you I mean it was that it was it was just the right thing for me at the right time and sort of I, I didn't even know it you know that that was a sort of serendipitous um move I think um but you know, I, I, I decided to get involved on an, you know, I was in, I was informed, you know, I was informed. I'd thought about it. Um, and I'm glad I did, you know, I mean, where it's taken us. And it's not just about the training, um, that we, we did and what it's, you know, helped us kind of go on to do, but also that it's about a group of people. And I think this was something else that kind of Phil was really thinking about was, uh, it was about building a community of coaches that will go on to support each other. You know, he, he, um, he still supports me um the, the cohort i was in and then you know being involved in the other cohorts there's a lot of um interaction and support going on there for those that need it um i think it's part of the you know the kind of the the message of what coaching is it's, you know it's not just about sort of lifelong learning it's about building relationships and i'm still in touch with you know clients i've worked with in the past and even if we don't work together again i love hearing about what they do next and you know, that's, that's kind of all in there for me. And I think like the way, the reason the coaching school was the right training for me and it sounds like, you know, part of the reason why it was the right training for you was because there was thinking in that way. Like he brought the whole of what coaching is and can be to that program. That's, that's the gap he spotted and filled and, you know, kind of so successfully kind of filled. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then maybe let's talk at least a little bit now um, I like. I want. I also want to be asking you about your coaching because we we haven't really got to that in your story yet. But it, it just feels like because we've been talking about the coaching school in, in different ways in that program,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's maybe worth saying, mm-hmm. you know, touching at least just a little bit on on the work we've been doing recently because I think it allows us probably to talk a little bit about what coaching is mm-hmm. and our understanding of it and mm-hmm. and other things and and mm-hmm. essentially what happened was we've been. Is this, I'll tell a little bit of story and then you can see if you think sure. it's true. Yeah. Um, we've been talking on and off essentially since since the last public coaching school program, which was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, every now and again, it would come up that, that it would be interesting to do some work together and maybe it would be us doing that together in some way. And mm-hmm. well, we didn't really know what that might be, but there were a, there were a few conversations about that in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then essentially, um, a small consultancy amongst, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, we should say that there are, there are, um, amongst other like prospect potential bits of work that could have been some work that we did together, training coaches. And there were, mm-hmm. there have been a few over the years of, mm-hmm. oh maybe it'll be this thing. And maybe mm-hmm. it'll be this thing. And maybe mm-hmm. it'll be this thing. Mm-hmm. One finally came and happened, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and again, it has to be the right, the right project, the right time, the right people, all those kind of things. And that's why the others didn't mm-hmm. with a very interesting, relatively small consultancy called curve we'll again we'll put a link in there where people are listening to this who are doing amazing work in the world um and they've got a book coming out soon um which people should check out when when it's out i'll try and remember to come back and put a link to the Mm -hmm. to the um to the show notes i don't think it's out yet but it might be actually by the time this comes out so there might be a link if people want to check it about running workshops um, because one of the things they are experts at is is running workshops. And one of the, I think we talked about this with Inga when she was on the podcast about one of the workshops they do is uh, the workshop workshop. And now it's mm-hmm. the, sometimes the remote workshop workshop, which is like a mm-hmm. workshop about running workshops. Um, but a really interesting company doing important work in, in lots of different places. And essentially, mm-hmm. they wanted to partner with somebody to run a coaching training for some of their team. Because they wanted to upskill some of the some of the team who weren't already working coaches, although some of them were, um, and give that particular coaching framework, but also um, to pull together a group of people who's wider than their team to do that with, and so that's the work that we've been doing. We did the first part of that about and the first module of that in the last month as we're recording this, um, and it, yeah, like I say, it's been you know a very. you know, powerful experience to bring that material back to life and to give Mm. it our own spin, make it alive in our way because it's us delivering it now, not Phil and Begard, not you and Phil, not all the other people that have have done it over the years. Um, And to think about how we work together and how we do that and how we make it really powerful Mm. and how, you know, because it's been interesting, hasn't it? Because we've both been, uh, we've been in each other's, what would you say, like we've coached each other in the last year so we've got that interesting element of it which is like how does this serve each of us Mm -hmm. at the point we are in our work um and it's been an absolute pleasure i don't think i've said this in this long list of things to um to kind of get into the fundamentals of coaching because that first Mm. module that we delivered is you know Mm. the uh, the aim for it is to prepare people so they can go out and practice which one of the things i loved about the training it's definitely one of the things you you did in the training as well is like okay, we're going to get you ready in the first weekend so that you can ethically and technically go out there and... Coach real people on real stuff and charge them money, and that and and know how to do all that kind of thing, and so we you know we've been really in the place of well what are the fundamentals of coaching? What do people Mm -hmm. need to know to be able to do that? And what Mm -hmm. do we know about that now that we Mm -hmm. didn't know years ago? Mm -hmm. So yeah, just that's that's my way of introducing that possibility to this conversation that we might talk about that. What what's important or interesting about what I've just said or or this project to you to say?
1: Well, you know everything you've just said, you know, and we've talked about this a lot is is you know, part of, you know, why it's a great thing to do. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful group of people and it's a real privilege to work with them. It's, it's great to do a training again because of, you know, what I said before about, you know, what we can learn from that again and again as coaches, as well as seeing um, some new people go out and, and work in a, in a new way or integrate their skills into what they do already. Um, but also, and I think this is the bit you haven't mentioned, it was also an opportunity for us to think about working together in a new way. We hadn't done a training before as co- co-facilitators in this yeah, we, way. Actually, we actually
0: hadn't done, I mean, we partnered a little bit on one of the coaching school programs when I came on board as a company, right. yeah. Tra- trainee, trainer, supported. Like. but we actually hadn't even, I hadn't thought about this. We hadn't even mm. run a workshop, like even a no. two hour workshop together ever.
1: No, I think, well, I think I watched you, I,
0: I introduced you run one once on the no uh, no you you no that's the on yeah, resistance. Yeah. We also but, ran one together. No, you're you're okay. absolutely right. It's not quite true. We uh, yeah, you introduced me for one on resistance on Stephen Pressfield's work, and we yeah. also ran an introduction to coaching workshop. You're right, workshop we did course. that. Yeah,
1: okay. But that aside, and you know, I think this is this doing a whole training is a sort of different beast. And I think you know the reason when when Inga got in touch and asked me if I was interested in doing this, and obviously I. I wanted to hear about Curve and and what they were doing and why they wanted to go through this program. Obviously, she she knew a lot about it already. So it was sort of her idea. But um, I knew it was something I wanted to do with you, um, partly because it was going to be a new way of working with you, as well as exploring a new way of um, being a a trainer and facilitator on a program like this, you know, And and I knew that um, I wanted both of those things and I knew that you were going to help me um, make the most of that sort of trainer facilitator role in a way that I sort of hadn't experienced before. And I was, I was, um, you know, really excited about that. And I think we thought a lot about that, you know. I mean, we did a lot of work earlier in the summer thinking about not just the training we were delivering and, you know, what changes we wanted to make based on our experience and also, you know, the needs of this this group of um, trainee coaches, but also exploring our relationship and how we could really use that to make the most of this program for everybody. And that's been a, an amazing thing to do. And, you know, um, I think is a sort of, um, is a coaching approach in a way to, to doing a project like this, because we thought very carefully about what we wanted from it in every sense and, and how we were going to sort of do that.
0: Yeah. And it was like, um, there's so much in that we could talk about really, but what came up as you were talking then is I think we had a conversation. Maybe we only had this insight. I can't remember. I think it was me who said it, but it could have been you. So if I'm stealing your insight, please say no. No. that. Like, you know, one of the interesting things about coaching is the foundational part of it is the relationship. And, and this is true in psychotherapy as well. I think I learned this in the intro to psychotherapy mm. training that I did that, you know, one of the things that predicts success in psychotherapy, regardless of modality, is the relationship. And so, or there was some yeah. research, I don't know if it's still current on that, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that, that that was true. But also, that one of the things that happens, or like one of the things that, at least in some modalities of psychotherapy, people think about is, you know, can we, can, can the psychotherapist and the client essentially, in some ways, model a healthy relationship? like or a healthier relationship that 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 the client mm-hmm. may not have had evidence mm-hmm. of in their life or most mm-hmm. of us haven't had only healthier relationships evidenced in our life right and mm-hmm. um, and one of the interesting things about having a group so in in coaching i think about that quite a lot as well i'm like look how can i be you know the stable a stable person in this and that's why i need to do my own work it's why i need to have an ethical business. That's why I need to think very carefully about my business practices, um, as well as the, the actual coaching sessions, because it's all part of uh, something that can be something and be meaningful and be part of the work. Mm. And what's interesting in the group was to think about, okay, well, you've got in a group of, uh, I, I forget how many we've got, but maybe there's nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 people in the room at different times. Mm. There are many relationships going on there. Uh, you know, many like permutations as me and my 10 relationships, let's say, with the other 10 people there. Mm. But what we knew already um, was that our relationship was a particular kind of relationship because, mm. yes, we go back like, I don't know what it is, like 15 years since those club nights. Um, and and we go back in a deeper way in the last uh seven years since mm-hmm. we've been having these conversations about this kind of work we do and mm. six and a half years since we first did had a coaching relationship together. And then you know the last year in particular, there's something in particular about our relationship. And like as a coach we might have yeah. in a session in by our energy and the work we've done ourselves invite something. There's something about the yeah. fact that our relationship was there mm. may have invited yeah. something in that group.
1: Mm. Yeah. But there's something I want to add to that. And, you know, this runs through the way we have thought about this by thinking about, like you know, by by doing the thinking we've done and sort of being very careful. But we were also um, doing something we hadn't done before. And that that means we're in a different kind of relationship as well. And I think we've really paid attention to that. I mean, you know, in the way that we've thought about this program, we thought a lot about um, contracting, you know. I mean, that's something that we, it's really important to think with new coaches about because and it goes back to that you know thing about knowing what you're doing and knowing what you're not doing whether that's coaching versus psychotherapy or you know another another way of working with someone and the point i'm making here is that it's part of the way we we um sort of planned and prepared for this training was that we thought about what we were doing in this training that we were we were there as coaches to work with a group of new coaches to do this work and that we sort of built awareness around that and sort of What that means and how we, I guess, really take up that role, as well as being co-facilitators, as well as doing that together. And I think that's a really important thing to think about because that—that's you know—that's kind of again one of the things that sort of runs through coaching. It's about knowing what you're doing. There's a sort of intentionality to it. That's that's what we do with our clients. We we say to them like, "What are you here to do? And why does that matter? And you know, once you identify that thing." What is it that needs to change? And there's a sort of intentionality kind of, you know, is woven through everything we do as coaches. We're sort of, we are, we're creating not just awareness, but kind of intentionality. And I think that that's a really important part of what we did was we thought about what it is we were there to do in that instance. You know, when we've worked together as coach and client, we're doing something different and we think about that. And and, um, maybe in it kind of setting up this training, exploring how we're going to do it, we were sort of particularly focused on that. And I think that's been um, a really amazing thing to do in such a specific way with someone like you who knows so much about what that means because you are a coach and because of the way you work as a coach as well. And what you said there about, you know, that sort of the the focus on the relationship as as the sort of the, um, the I don't know, the, the, ma- the material that coaching is made from. And I agree with you, by the way. I think mm-hmm. absolutely, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and maybe like, I, you know, there's so much in this that we could go into more if we, yeah. if we want to. The thing that, you know, the piece that I think has been really interesting about working in this way is I think, certainly I felt like this, I think I've heard you say that as well. It's like, not all, but a lot of my previous experience of try, of delivering training
1: yeah.
0: um, was quite stressful mm-hmm. <laughs> and quite anxiety-inducing. And, you know, I've worked on this. It's this been part of my growth over the last few years, including in some of the other partnerships I have is to like get away from the fact the way that I used to do it which is essentially the way that I used to uh Cass and I um Mike's wife met doing plays at university and I used to essentially treat training as a play where I would like what am I going to say essentially learn it okay. and then deliver it and that's not quite true because it's never mm-hmm. you know you know that you've got the freedom you don't have to say exactly mm-hmm. what Shakespeare or Birkhoff or whoever it was mm-hmm. wrote which you kind of mm-hmm. do if you, you know, to a certain extent if, you, if you're doing something like that but um you know it and and there's 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 other sides to this right because in some ways especially on that first module we're teaching like the fundamentals of the thing that we've both spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours each mm. um, um, doing, and so there is like a freedom that comes from knowing that but it it also came up in that thing that you were just talking about, which is like, what if training, what if we're bringing coaching Mm. to our experience of running a training program? Mm. And one of the things that happens if you're coaching, if you're coaching well, is that you're really present Mm. in that. And there's a structure um, mm. around which which mm. you are holding. Mm. And within that, there is presence and mm. intuition and all those mm. kinds of things. And I certainly feel like in that first module, at least maybe we'll do another episode when we've done, when we've done modules two and three to see if this is has held true. But I think it's it been a very powerful for mm. me mm. way to, uh, you know, intention to set mm. for how to lead a group of people to learn about coaching yeah. in a way that is coaching. Mm. Yeah, I think
1: that was our conscious intention, and I think we did that, and I think everyone benefited from that. Uh, you know, I, I I um I have a similar experience of you know um previous trainings or, or um, you know we were delivering a workshop where you can you can sort of take it on as like there's there's a there's a set of content to be sort of learned and remembered here and then sort of delivered, and it's funny because I was in one play uh, as well as being in one film. I was in one play at uni and I had one line, and I and I fluffed it like i i just can't remember lines um um, i mean maybe if i spent a lot of time practicing it i could get there there are other things that are more important to me now but i'm not a natural line learner and um you know i think realizing that and, and what you've just said there about in a way embodying what we do as coaches which is to be present with a client wherever they are and however they are at that point. And then to work with that, that really is our job. You know, if, 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 if we're going in with a script, we're not going to coach them. Um, and that we thought about that and we took that approach into the training we've done. And I think, um, it's been a really good thing to do. And actually, you know, thinking back to what I remember seeing Phil and and Vega doing, like that's really what they were doing. It just looked like from the outside, but they'd remembered, um, Kind of all this stuff and of course there was a structure and there was something that, that, that they were there to teach but that they taught it in a way that um, in a way was based in their experience and, and also was um, brought to a group of people that um, needed that experience delivered in whatever way they needed at the time and that they were paying attention to that and I think through doing this with you I've really really got a sense of that um, and it felt very different to know trainings or workshops shops I've been involved in previously uh, where I was sort of free to to bring my experience in a in a in a in a way that was gonna serve the group and that's mm. a fun thing to do.
0: Yeah absolutely <laughs> is there anything else Mike that feels important? You know it's like we're in this space thinking about this training that we've done. You know I guess I'm curious, what did you like you touched on something there about script, maybe this is it, but feel free to just go a different way if it feels more interesting somewhere else. Like what are the things that you really learn about the fundamentals of coaching from revisiting the fundamentals of coaching? I'm glad you asked that because it it felt actually like we were starting to talk about less about
1: delivering a training and more about, you know, this kind of this coaching approach and, and what that means. And that's something about a way of thinking um, and a way of kind of really acting with a client, which we know about that we bring into a training like that, but that actually is something that we bring in from what we do with our coaching clients, you know, Um, and it is about presence. And it goes back to what I said before about being listened to kind of in a different way for the first time. And um, I think it's actually John from Curve, um, likes to think about the word yet because, you know, yet is an invitation um, for something that hasn't happened yet. When we were talking about the training and and thinking about what, you know, what we understand as coaches that we wanted to kind of um, bring into the training in the way that we delivered it, the, the best, the best kind of, I think you asked me a question, something like, you know, what do you know now? Like what's the sort of the sum of your knowledge about what coaching is in a sort of, in a nutshell, I think at the time, what I sort of came up with was that coaching is about what else is possible, mm. finding that, understanding it, making it happen, and you know, that that's the same as yet, in a way.
0: And, and just so like, just yeah. sorry to interrupt, but there's like there was, when you said that, you then told this, like said this great thing about, like I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say a little bit about it and then and mm, take that mm, uh, wherever you want about like. Mm. The role we can play as coaches Uh really in the consultation or an enrollment conversation Uh Uh around possibility and, Uh Uh you know, what it's like at the start of an engagement when we don't know if what they're saying is possible. But essentially what we do by offering them coaching and say this back in your own way or or build on it, like essentially what we do by saying, yeah, we can work on that thing together Uh is we believe that it's possible for them. And what an impactful thing that is.
1: Right. And I guess that's the bit that we bring as coaches that the, the client doesn't have. Otherwise they wouldn't be there. You know, if they knew what was possible and believed that they could get there, they'd they'd probably go off and do it by themselves. And it's 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 that that's the bit, you know, we, we can talk about a client being the expert in their life and a coach being the expert in, in the structure that that we can use to kind of explore their experience in their life. I think this is just another way of saying that really, that um, a client comes and says, there's something i know, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. Or maybe I don't believe like I can do this. And the coach then invites them to, to do that. And, and, you know, the basis of that invitation is um, that the coach knows and believes that if I give you the space, if I listen, if I ask you questions, if I take, if I take your, you know, your question, your problem, your goal seriously and that's about belief it's like i believe that if we do that something important will happen but that's what a coach brings to to that conversation that's you know that's the space they create in which a client can explore what else is possible and how they're gonna work towards it if that's what they want to do yeah so i think we're talking about you know the the sort of the, the deepest bit of the craft of coaching here and for me, the deepest bit, and maybe this goes right back to why I ultimately decided to do this work and, and sort of why it matters to me, is that ultimately all of this, whether it's coaching or psychotherapy, it's an act of care. You know, something that came out of um going over and um, just that, that first fundamental tool in coaching, which is listening. Like we talked about, in a way, everything we do as coaches. Is about listening. If you ask a great, great question, it's great because you've listened to the client. If you ask them the right question, you've listened to them. And that really listening and then really coaching and psychotherapy is an act of care for someone. You're saying, "I'm, I'm doing something here because I really believe that the thing you want to do matters to you. I really believe that the problem you have is difficult for you, and I really believe that you've come here to to work on it and to move forward." You know, if you're not, if you don't believe that as a coach if you if you if you kind of don't believe yourself that what a client is doing is important and matters to them then you're not going to coach them full stop right Mm -hmm. um so you know and then we see it in all those kind of constituent parts of coaching if 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 we're really listening it's because we care about what someone's saying and we and we care about why we're doing that we care and ultimately we care about them so that's, you know, it's a it's a, listening is an act of care, and so is coaching and, and so is so is sort of any way of sincerely working with someone in a relational way, mentoring, teaching as well. And that for me is the kind of that maybe is the bit that I was I was missing. And that's not to say that, you know, giving people a great night, you know, a fun kind of, you know, club event or music event isn't an act of care. You, they're really enjoying themselves, but you know. It wasn't enough for me, I think. Um, there was more that I wanted um, for the people I was working with. And ultimately, you know, through that, there was more I wanted for myself as well because, you know, I'm involved in this work too and it's what how I feel about it matters as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And maybe to shift this slightly, but also, mm-hmm. you know, not quite to build on that, it's like, talked about how coaching and psychotherapy both have that act of care at the heart of them. Mm-hmm. And um, in, a, in a few minutes, I want to talk about your coaching and how that's evolved and, and, mm-hmm. and, and where you are with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe before we even get to that, we could just speak a little bit to those two modalities that you work in um you know one on one side you are a coach who works with people to understand what's important to them and then find the way to get there in in all the ways you just said on the other side you work as a practicing psychotherapist psychodynamic psychotherapist um and you have a you know last time i asked you pretty full practice doing that there's a a lot of those conversations they're different things a lot of the time people get kind of like I joked earlier, kind of get confused about that or it's an important question for people to ask. So I guess over the last, I mean, what are we on since you first did that, that um, psychotherapy training and the coaching training was like over the last seven or eight years, eight or nine years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, what have you learned about those two ways to care for people, to create change and help people create change? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about them? What's this? what's this? what do they have in common what do they have differently? How do you think about it? The fact that you practice both like yeah. all those kind of things. Yeah. Well, I think about it a lot.
1: Um, the fact that I work both ways means I, I should and do think a lot about um, how they differ, particularly how they differ as process. I mean, there's a lot in common, you know, uh, I work with, um, one on one in both in both processes mainly um I do some group coaching but mainly it's sort of one on one work um you know those those kind of fundamental elements it's about listening it's about um, you know the act of care you're there to you're there to do something important for someone and and you really have to mean that. You know, those are kind of part of what's what's kind of, I guess, shared between those those ways of working. At the same time, they're very different. Uh, and I think a lot about that because I think um, it's it's really important. You know, uh, we, we thought about this um, when we were uh, doing the, the, the ethics um, section on the training we just did. But um, I think that in order to do something well, you kind of have to know what it is you're doing. This is before we come to, you know, the kinds of things we might work with in psychotherapy versus coaching. It's just about, um, it's a bit like, you know, uh, uh, using a tool or a machine, you know, in order to use any machine or tool well. You kind of need to know what that tool is for, what it's going to do and how it works and how to to use it well. So this is not about, you know, is one thing kind of better or more impactful or more, you know, uh, uh, sort of useful way of helping someone. It's just that there are different ways that we can help people in different situations. And um, we have to, you know, use the right tool at the right time and, 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 um, and, and then to use it well, we have to know what it is. And that is about understanding what something is and what something isn't. And, and I, I think that's what I think about a lot, really. I mean, I think, you know, there's a whole other conversation we could have about what are the particular differences and, you know, that, that would be, me describing the different tools and you know there is a there's a way of thinking about psychodynamic psychotherapy um um, that differs you know there's a different process there and the differences exist for very good reasons and um and you know maybe it's enough to say for now that I like the fact that I do different things at different times and have an understanding of what that means Um, and then I get to do both as well you know there's something about um coaching to go back to you know going up a skyscraper I wouldn't do that as a psychodynamic psychotherapist, because it's it's not part of the work. It, um, it would get in the way of something that um, it, it's really important in, in in that work to to be in the same place um, every week when you speak to someone. But you know, in coaching, we have we have the opportunity and the freedom to to play with space, and it's something I really love about coaching. There's a you know, there's a sort of there's a very kind of um, playful element to it that you can really use in that work. That would, um, you know, you don't do in psychotherapy because it would get in the way of something else you're trying to do. And so, you know, having an understanding of what that means means I can do one well and the other well as well. So they don't, it doesn't feel like they kind of, it's not like they're competing in some way. They're just different ways of working with people for different reasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how have they, how has doing coaching? informed or affected your psychotherapy practice if at all and and vice versa how has having this hmm. psychotherapy practice and doing that work and that learning yeah. affected the yeah. coaching that you do
1: yeah it's a good question I mean you know there are there are some you know some some commonalities which I've sort of talked about a bit already you know you're there to help someone work through a question or a problem something they're struggling with something they want to change That's sort of I think that's at the heart of a piece of work in kind of in either way of working maybe the kinds of problems um sort of differ or the impact of of issues or problems that people are having um differ but I think that you know having done both you know one can inform the other I mean there's something about the way you listen as a psychotherapist particularly the way I work and there's you know there's there's a there's an idea of you work with the idea of Uh, sort of unconscious parts of people and you you think about levels of listening as you know as as we do as coaches as well but maybe in a slightly different way and you do that a lot so you learn a lot about listening and and what that means and I certainly think I bring that into my work as a coach and and to some extent maybe that that means that um, I'm happy to work with people in a coaching process on on um, sort of questions and issues that other coaches might not Um, but it also tells me sort of, you know, helps me understand where the boundaries are. And, you know, I, I know a lot about, um, when, when someone shouldn't be doing something in coaching that, you know, they might think they can do in coaching. And sometimes I have those conversations with potential clients and sometimes they then go off and get some therapy because that's the right thing to do. Um, I guess the other way around, you know, um, my therapist said this to me and it was, a really important um, thing to hear was that therapy isn't just about understanding or seeing what's going on. It is also about making change and, you know, there isn't as much of a focus as there is in coaching on, on bringing that into the kind of structure of a psychotherapeutic engagement explicitly. But I think when the opportunity is there, I think it's really important to help a client make some changes because otherwise, you know, what's the point? If they're ready to make a change, you can help them do that. And um, I think having worked as a coach has kind of really helped me to see like how you can do that with someone, you know, when, when there's a change that that there's kind of there that they're ready to kind of experiment with or play with, you can really support them in doing that. And, you know, you can do that as a psychotherapist as well. And I think you should, if, if, if a client is ready for it, Mm. because it's about helping them as best as you can. And it would be a shame not to do that if the opportunity is there.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that attitude is, you, you can, you know, you can, and we have, and many coaches have. Like, you know, you have that issue in coaching It's like mm-hmm. How do you help people as best you can? Sometimes it's by doing by the book coaching, and sometimes it's it's not.
1: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Have there been, have there been clients on either side of your businesses that? could have been on the other side as well that you could have kind of done either work with and, you know, and, or if that's not like that interesting Mm, question, mm. if the answer is no, (laughs) then yeah, what about like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the first place to start. Like have there been people who could have gone either side or like, how do do you choose, have you Mm. ever had to choose which way to kind of take somebody?
1: Yeah. I mean, no, quite rarely, but every now and then I speak to someone, Um, say, who gets in touch with me with a view to doing a piece of coaching work. And I feel that, you know, the thing that they're talking about, um, wanting to kind of work on or change, um, feels more like something they need to do in therapy. So it might be something that, you know, um, they're struggling with particularly or is kind of really impacting their life, is stopping them doing other things. Um, You know, if they're talking about anxiety or depression You know, those are kind of flags, I guess, that um, this might not be something that it's kind of right to to sort of work with them on as a coach. Then you have a conversation with them about it. Um, You know, I think there have been a few times when I've said to someone, you know, I work as a therapist as well as a coach, and the thing you're talking about, I think it would be more useful if you spoke to a therapist about, and then, you know, they've gone off and, and maybe done that. And then, you know, they, they can think about coaching alongside that or later, but that they know where they're taking um, a specific issue or problem and, and why they're taking it there. And that's something I've talked about with clients for sure. I've also had referrals from therapists um, um, where they've worked with someone who's worked through something difficult and then they're ready to do something else and that, 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 that they've, can do that in a coaching process because they're ready to. And, you know, that's the right place for them at that point.
0: Yeah. It's probably worth saying, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Like, you know, it it was really interesting as part of preparing the the kind of uh, fundamental coaching module that we we prepared to get, I got back into the, like the detail of say the ICF's ethical standards. And and Mm. it's not that I haven't thought about them, but I haven't like gone through them with the fresh eyes of somebody Mm -hmm. coming to them for the first time for, since I came to them for the first time. Um, And so it was, it was really nice to do that. And, you know, it's really important that right there in the middle of them, and I think in the middle of any healthy relationship, but also any certainly any professional caring relationship is it, you know, if I'm not the right person to support this person best right now, which might be if coaching isn't the right thing and I'm only Mm -hmm. a coach that I send them on. And I know that that's, uh, you know, or I'm 99% sure that's in the psychotherapy codes yeah. of ethics that people work to too. And that's that's why they're 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 linking people to you in that mm-hmm. way. I, I wonder Mike if you can just say something like because I'm just aware, I suddenly got aware that like sometimes people listen to this podcast who are new coaches. And it's just really useful to have you here. Mm. Like if you had to say like what is the difference mm-hmm. between coaching and psychotherapy, like where do you go with that?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a. It's a really good question. Um, I don't think there's like one hard and fast answer. Like you know, my answer to this is probably different now than it would have been three years ago or five years ago because I've got more experience doing both things, and you know, to some extent, I've I've changed what I do as a particularly as a coach, and maybe I, I work I work more with people um, on sort of um, broader or deeper issues. You know, maybe relating to more parts of their life or to their feelings more in a more direct way. Um, I think maybe a way I would think about it is the extent to which an issue they want help with is impacting them in sort of um, the way they live their life day to day. You know, if there's something that is sort of really taking over or stopping them doing other things, then I might, I might be thinking quite carefully about, um, you know, whether that's something they want to take into therapy, Um, you know, and that I, that's probably a starting point. I mean, I think it's always something I would think about with a client. But you know, I guess using my sort of my sort of professional intuition or you know um sense of where the kind of the boundaries are. It's it's I guess it's the extent to which they're impacted um, by the by the the question they're wanting um, sort of help on. You know, if if think about it, maybe in terms of if they didn't get some help with this, like what would happen, and would they not be able to kind of. um I guess, live their life in a in a sort of healthy, kind of functional way. You know, uh, I think people can bring problems to coaching, but I think um, they're not necessarily kind of stopping them doing the important things in their life. Whereas maybe in psychotherapy, you often find that the problems are getting in the way of, of you know, whether it's relationships or, you know, work or... Um, you know, in various ways that they're impacted kind of quite severely.
0: Yeah. And, and I think what I heard you say, which is a really useful distinction that I've never really thought of before is the, the important things in their life are being impacted on like a day-to-day basis.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's like, mm-hmm. if this change doesn't happen,
1: mm-hmm. like
0: what happens to their day-to-day life? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, cause we can get people talking about those same things in coaching, but mostly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're not coming to a, a relationship, a coach, they're not getting coaching on their relationship because their marriage is literally in the process of breaking down. Mostly, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm sure there are people who, yeah. who do work in that way. Yeah. Mostly, people aren't getting coaching because they literally can't get out of bed and go to work because they're so mm-hmm. anxious about mm-hmm. it. You
1: know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and look, there are other. You know, when people are in in you know um, places where they're really struggling, you know, there are there are other signs that you know their sleep's being impacted or. Um, you know, they're acting out in various ways, or, you know, they, they may be feeling particularly depressed, or even suicidal, or, you know, they, they're sort of self-medicating. And I think, you know, those are all, those are all things that um, you pay attention to. And, you know, and as a therapist as well, you know, that there are, there are levels of, of sort of, um, uh, of risk, or um, of, you know, um, uh, disturbance, or kind of, you know, um, I guess, you know, levels of sort of, severity of 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 mental illness that i'm not qualified or experienced enough to work with either so that you know i'm making the same call as a therapist that someone might need um a kind of more acute or intensive intervention they're going to get from once weekly therapy and it's 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 not about coaching or therapy it's sort of whatever it is you're doing it's about thinking like what is it i'm here to do and how am i here to work usefully with someone and if i can't do that who who else is there that they need to kind of speak to and get help from so I'm making the same call, you know, it's yeah. not just, it's, it's not just, you know, if it's not for coaching, it's for therapy. It's that they're, you know, different therapists work with different people and in different ways for different reasons. And there's something I do as a therapist and there are things I don't do as a therapist as well. And um, I'm, I'm sort of checking for that in that
0: work too. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Like uh, maybe as a bridge to go back to your coaching work, hmm. I'm curious, like how does, I know, I know a bit of, I know, I know personally know a bit about this, but mm. maybe you could speak a little to how do the how does the business of psychotherapy differ to the business of coaching and maybe use that as a way to bridge back into yeah well, how does your coaching business look now seven or eight years. Yeah. Ago? Well
1: as it as you know I, I work privately in both as a therapist and a coach. And in that sense, I mean other than the way the processes differ, um it's not very different. You know, people get in touch with me and they they tell me what's going on for them and um I think with them about whether I'm the right person to help them or not. And then if, if we agree that I am, we, we set up a process and, you know, they're working with me. Um, there's, I, I think there, there's, there's something about uh, work as a therapist where you maybe you're involved, um, you have a bit more kind of full support than you, you do as a, as a coach. I mean, I have a mental coach, Katie, Katie Harvey, who um, you've done a podcast with as well. Um, as a psychotherapist, I am required to have clinical supervision, which I do. I have a lot of that um, for, you know, for very good reason. Um, uh, but other than that, I think, you know, um, you, you kind of, I make, you know, you make of it what you want. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm involved informally with sort of peer support groups in, in, in both kind of in both businesses, which is an important part of how I develop myself professionally and, and do the work well um but yeah otherwise I mean just as businesses it's I have sessions I build clients and they pay me and you know um and I do the admin I need to do to do the work
0: yeah Um, what about like I know you know I was looking on your coaching website versus your Mm. psychotherapy website I noticed they're different right it's not the same website first of all and Mm. there's two that's interesting um and how you talk about yourself on each one is different and I wonder what's different like why is that and what's different about how clients come to you if if there is anything different about that
1: yeah well most of my psychotherapy clients tend to come from either um registers where you can find therapists um or by referral from colleagues so you know when a colleague can't work with someone for some reason um and we often refer to each other um my coaching clients um, tend to come more from word of mouth sort of from past work I've done or from other coaches I guess who you know who maybe feel that I'm the right coach for someone that they've kind of met so again referrals um, and yeah I think you know I have two websites because in a way a piece of work with anyone sort of begins many when they're thinking about doing a piece of work with someone and then you know as part of that thinking they might come across a website and read something about the person they might work with and they're you know they're uh I guess it's a reflection of um, the different ways I might work with with clients you know it's part of my coaching work I might tell my clients quite a bit about me and my experience if it's you know if it's relevant it's also part of the way I build a relationship with them so there's maybe more about my sort of um personal sort of career journey on my coaching website than there is on my psychotherapy website because that's not that's not part of a, a process that I'll engage in with a psychotherapy client you know it's there's um, they they don't know anything about me, and that's an important part of how I work. About, I work with them.
0: Yeah,
1: so yeah. it sort of reflects that difference.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking right now. You know, there's a lot about you in this conversation. It's going to be mm-hmm. like that's going to be a part of a part of some of those journeys now as well potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, like just to bring us back to your coaching work now, mm-hmm. you kind of talked about training we've talked about um psychotherapy and coaching and how they relate and how they're different and talked a little bit about the business there and where your clients come from and, and that's yeah. always interesting yeah. like imagine your coaching is different now so how it started out but like what are the important things you've learned about your coaching work uh and 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 how do you work now yeah. um after i mean what are we yeah. is it is it eight eight years or so since you first started bit less have
1: you? yeah like seven and a half years yeah when i first i mean i think seven years ago i was working with my practice clients on the coaching school program i was on but you know working for real as a coach and i think at that point i was doing um something which is more like what you know we've done with the the new coaches we're working with at curve which is you know to set them up and encourage them to maybe work on shorter engagements with the clients so something that i've I guess you know. Developed in, in the way I work as a coach since then is that um, I, I I think I tend. I mean, it's not it's not only. I, I still work with um, clients on a shorter term basis, which tends to be sort of some something like three to six months typically. That's often um, when a client is working through a um, a career change um, in some way. So it's sort of a bit more limited. But I found that um, along the way, I've I've met clients who want. Um, longer-term support, and I really like working that way, and it's something that I've, um, I guess, developed and then, you know, maybe to some extent have um, found clients, whether I go looking for them or they hear about me, where that feels like um, the right way of supporting them for for various reasons. So that I – it sort of feels like I'm doing more of that now than I – certainly did at the beginning but um and, and maybe i'm choosing to do a bit more as well i really like um getting to know as much as possible about client's life and their world and you know using all of that to support them and you know and building a relationship with them you know there's something there's something really amazing for both a coach and a client i think when you can build a long-term relationship with someone yeah, and, and maybe that speaks a little bit to my work as a therapist, because that work tends to be longer term. Um, it maybe also informs a little bit a little bit the way I set up my coaching engagements now, which is um that I'm in touch with clients maybe a bit more frequently than I was um when I started. And so I I tend to suggest that. I speak to a client fortnightly, and then if they, if they need some more support in between those scheduled fortnightly sessions, they have it. You know, some clients do want a bit less contact, and, um, and maybe it changes over an engagement as well, but they start off with a bit more contact, and then as they um, sort of start doing things for themselves a bit more, they want a little bit less support. But I have some clients I've worked with for a long time, and we speak um, once a fortnight regularly, and that's the part of the work that we're doing. And it's great. I love it. And it's, it's work. I want to do more of.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And, and like, yeah, to get, I love what you said about being able to really get into the client's world and know as much about their life as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's maybe it's a big question. It might not have a, a short answer, but it's like, why do you like that so much? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess I'm curious, right? And if you're curious, then if there's more to know, well, then tell me about it, right? This is this is what we bring into our our workers coaches, curious about our clients and what's going on for them. I think there's something also about, um, you know, linking up different parts of their lives. I mean, you know, a life is a complex thing, right? It's made up of lots of different parts, and I think quite often you'll find that something going on here is related to something going on there. And at the very least, kind of um, knowing contextually what's going on um, in in kind of across someone's life will help you work with them on the thing they want to focus on. Um, And I think often over longer term pieces of work, you find that you move on to other things, and that's often how I end up working with people longer term. Is that we do a piece of work on one thing and. Um, through that, we realize there's something else they might want to work on. And then if they feel they want more support from me, you know, we think again about what it is we're doing. And do so you sort of sometimes, I sometimes find that you sort of, you, you build a piece of work and, um, you know, what you've done with them before kind of relates to that, feeds into that, you know, it's part of the relationship that you build and that you can then as a coach use, in a way, use all of that to support your client kind of really well. Because yeah. you, you, you know so much about how they operate and what matters to them and what they struggled with and, and, and how they've like dealt with it before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, that speaks a lot to, I guess, you know, serving that person by really understanding them. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder, like, you know, you've done all this work in psychotherapy as well as in coaching.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there things or, or what things do you feel right. like you've you've learned about people? over over all that work and that time yeah i know that's a big question mike and yeah, well, yeah. i know we're coming towards the end of our time as well so no, sorry yeah. to throw you this giant question um yeah but whatever just comes up yeah
1: yeah well yeah i mean what comes up is you know the the thing you were coaching me on last year where i was doing a bit of thinking about this and c- collecting i guess just what i feel i've learned about particularly about people and how they operate um I think, you know, I mentioned just now kind of complexity. Um, People's lives are complex. The world is complex. Like, we like things to be simple, but in a way, nothing is simple. Like, there's always more to understand about something. And, you know, um, we don't have to talk about everything with a client, but at least knowing that there's probably a lot more going on in their life or that, you know, things are interrelated is really important, I think, to sort of just hold that idea of complexity it's a really important thing um i think also something i've i've learned a lot about particularly through my work as a therapist but also my own therapy is that um internally like i just said the world is complex like our, our inner worlds are complex you know like a psyche is a like incredibly complex thing um like one aspect of what about is ambivalence, like this term ambivalence, which it took me a while to get my head around that. I used to think it, it meant being apathetic, but it's it's the opposite. It's it's about mixed feelings. It's about conflicting feelings. And I, I think that really, um, speaking for myself, I'm aware that I am, you know, a sort of constant bundle of conflicting feelings and my hunch is, well, I'm, and I know through my work, that a lot of people, other people are, if not all people are, you know, we have mixed feelings about things. And I think... Knowing that about people and how they operate is a very important thing to, to kind of get your head around and sort of knowing that can really help you work with someone. You know, we we often have very conflicting feelings about the same thing.
0: Oh, is it often, Mike, or is it always? Well, probably like
1: I- <laughs> al- probably always. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we if we dig into the complexity, it's probably always. Yeah. 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 Wow. And that's you know that's um, that's that's a lesson that I've learned about myself that has been, um, you know, massively useful for me really. And I think helps me in my work as well. You know, when I, when I get to know someone, a new client, get inside their world and, you know, I know from the outset that, um, the complexity and the ambivalence is, is likely to be there. And then it's sort of not surprising when we find
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Very powerful and important like you can just to kind of hear how as you were saying that i was thinking you know how as a client how valuable it would be to be to be sitting down with somebody mm. who's aware of that and maybe even listening for mm. those conflicting thoughts and feelings about yeah you know the the you know the key maybe about the key thing that they're facing that they've turned right. up to speak to you with well like one of the things probably is that they have some conflicting thoughts and feelings about that. Otherwise, again, go back to what you said before, they probably have just done the thing already, whatever the thing is or, or, or stop doing it. And, mm. and that I'm sure, feels like that ambivalence is probably, I've never thought about yeah. this before is probably at the core on some level of, of like right. every transformational journey, every coaching engagement, right. every psychotherapy engagement. Or, or
1: an unanswered question or an, you know, a, a problem where there's no apparent solution and, you know, I th- yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mike, we're almost at time, and you've you given, um, given so generously. I want to kind of take us a little bit back to the start. Like you know, the the transformation, the, the career transformation or, or change, uh-huh. was a lot about your strengths and values, things that uh-huh. weren't getting getting met uh, or or like your professional capabilities not all being used knowing that knowing there was something missing mm. like what do you think in the next phase of your work you need to do to make sure that you're continuing that like what do you to make sure that all your professional capabilities are getting used hmm. and that you are really doing that and that's another that's a deep way of me asking what are you excited about yeah. in your work in the next few years it's a great question
1: I'm not sure I know yet is the answer to that. Um, I have some ideas. I mean, what I just talked about just now sort of collecting something about my understanding about people and how they operate something I'm doing now and want to do more with, um, exactly what that is. I don't know. I mean, in a way the answer to the question is I don't know because I know what I'm doing now is what I want to be doing for now. Hmm. Um, which is kind of a a new place for me to be because I've, I've often, you know, this is what we do as coaches, right. We kind of get into this um, and sort of this momentum of thinking about growth and, and um, what next. And um, we're helping other people to do that. You know, this is the kind of the stuff of coaching where people are coming to make changes and I've made a lot of changes and and now I'm in a place where um, I've sort of, I'm in the change I've made. And I think something that I've, Really, become aware of quite you know quite recently in the last year or so is that actually that's enough for now for me, um, really in the main, and that if there's you know more to do or more to learn, it's more about the kind of the depth of what I'm doing at the moment, maybe rather than the breadth of it. Mm. So you know I want to carry on working as a coach and a, as a psychotherapist, but just learning more about what that means and what it means to me now and, you know, what it means to do that work really, really well. So I think, I think that's, um, I'm kind of saying, I don't know because yeah. I'm, I'm kind of good where I am right now. I know that, but, you know, I'm open to seeing what happens next. And I think my experience, um, you know, six, seven, eight years ago as I was making the change and, and sort of thinking about what I wanted to do and then sort of making choices about that and this is something else I guess is that I've learned, you know, through that is that we, we, we have a choice, you know, and right now I'm choosing not to do anything new, but I, I, it's not happening by accident. You know, it's something I'm I'm in, in sort of thinking about and being quite intentional about which will help me make the most of it in a, in a way that is, a, that, that's my choice, right? My choice mm. is not to think about sort of what's next for a while, but that I have the option to, to make that choice later on, to sort of think about something new later on. And that's a really kind of empowering thing to understand, and I think is what I understood through that change in the way I made it. And and it's something then, obviously, you know, I bring into the work I do, and as, as we all do as coaches, where we're helping people understand their choices and then make the best decision they can. And for me right now, the best decision I can make is, I think, is to do what I'm doing and, and do it as well as I can. And I think when I'm ready to do something new, like some part of me will tell me.
0: Yeah. I think, um, that's a, I think that's a great way to talk about it, Mike. And I think like, it's kind of refreshing to hear that, you know, and it sounds like one of the things is deepen your understanding and learn more. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, again, we could do another podcast episode about that. Right. And about what that might yeah. mean. And, and, and I do hope that those things see the light of day, those, that, that collection of, of ideas. Cause I think even in just the way that you've talked about ambivalence there, you know, or choice, people will get that flavor for the wisdom and, and the truth in them. Um, mike we've been talking for like two hours it's it's an amazing amazing gift to have this conversation before before we say goodbye is there anything else that it feels important for you to say um either because you know the kind of people who might be listening or because of something we've kind of hinted at but not said yet before we wrap up yeah well
1: again i guess going
0: back to i
1: guess the beginning of you know we're talking about my move the move i made into this this this, this a new way really of working and relating to work and, and sort of the part it plays in my life and how I understand that and the decisions I made around that and I said right at the beginning that you know I was sort of informally coached first and then and then I got some formal coaching that sort of helped accelerate the change through the program and, and then afterwards um, which was obviously helpful and I maybe the thing to come back to is like you know I sort of wonder like if I had worked with a coach Sooner if I'd known like there's this thing called coaching where you can go and think with someone in this way, like what might have been different. And you know, I don't I don't regret the way it happened. It was it's it's my journey. But um yeah, to sort of maybe just to say to people like if if you're interested in thinking and you know, for yourself about what you might change about your life, a great way to do that is to go and work with a coach. I mean, obviously I'd say that as a coach, but I say that as a person, you know. Yeah. Um, I, it happened by happy accident for me because someone did coach me. I mean, that question that I was asked at two and a half thousand feet was a coaching question, and it it started me off on a sort of a, a, a way of thinking about my life that I think ultimately led to where I am now. Um, and I, I guess I just yeah, it's important to say that that can happen, and you can you, you can make that happen. It doesn't have to happen by accident. And one way to make that happen is to work with someone or at the very least just to ask yourself that question you know if i could do anything if i had all the time in the world if i had all the resources i needed um if this thing that is in my way now weren't in my way however you want to see that what could i do what else is possible
0: and that the asking of that question is that always worth doing yeah Mike, that's an amazing way to to end and this podcast episode i'm glad we've added that um podcast host guest relationship to our complex web um Mm. we'll put links to everything we've talked about in in wherever people are listening but yeah other than that Mike just thanks so much
1: yeah and thanks for having me on your podcast because um I think it's it's an amazing thing you've done I mean it's an incredible resource to give people who are interested in coaching or working as coaches you know I've listened to a few of the the episodes and I've learned loads from listening to other coaches speak and um, yeah, like, thanks to you for doing this at all and for inviting me on um, to, um, to sh- you know, to share my experience. It's been great for me to, to kind of go over my journey in the way that I, I have with you now. So yeah. thanks, Robbie.
0: Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hello, Robbie here again. As You Made It, all the way to the end of my conversation with Mike, and I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, As you made it all the way to the end, I'm imagining you liked this episode. And if you like the episode or you love the podcast, um, there are a few things you could do to help um, support the podcast. The first is, as I said at the start of... um, of the episode is to like The Coach's Journey on uh, LinkedIn or on Facebook. Um, Like it, share those pages, like some posts, make some comments, get involved. Um, That's how we get the algorithms going so that they reach more coaches and find their way to people who might really value um, knowing about the podcast. Uh, You could also just share this episode. If if there's somebody you think who would really enjoy this episode, share it with them. Like that's really a tiny bit of money has gone into marketing the the podcast, but really it's made its way around the world and it has made its way around the world, which is extraordinary by word of mouth. So um, do let somebody who you think might be interested in this um, know about the podcast. And if you'd like to go further in that in supporting the podcast, there are a couple of ways to do that. One is to join the Coach's Journey community. So this is... um, uh, an open-ended, flexible group coaching program where led by me, so I'll be your coach, um, and it's designed to help coaches create thriving coaching practices um, and to thrive as people while they do it and to connect them to other people who are on that journey too. Um, and you can decide how much you pay and, and therefore how much coaching you receive. You can join from as little as £10 a month and, and come to a couple of group coaching calls a year, or you can pay up to about £100 a month where you come to all the, all the group coaching calls as part of the community, plus you get some one-on-one time with me, plus there are various other things that you get as part of that too. Um we're about a year in and we've had some amazing conversations and 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 people have really valued being connected to each other. Um If you want to support the podcast financially, but you're not interested in becoming a member of the community, then you can do that by becoming a supporter of the podcast. You do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash Journey, And you can find out about the community there too. Um, And you can pay as little as £5 a month and you get a few little things from me as well um, by way of thank you. Um, So you can find out more about the community at... uh, thecoachesjourney.com slash community and more about becoming a supporter and signing up for both at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. Um, all the links for those are at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, and um, I also want to say a particular thank you to Alex McIntyre, Alex Swallow, Joey Owen, Ken Brewerin, and Laura Schuckberg for their ongoing support. But I ho- overall, I hope to have you back with us on the Coaches Journey podcast sometime soon um, and that you have a wonderful rest of your day, week and month um, and year, a lovely Christmas Um whatever's happening for you.